Blog Talk Radio.
Because this is the first of the beginning of another new year, 2023. And there were some very significant historical events that took place and continue to take place that we need to be aware of. We'd like to list on this day in 1804, we had the Haitian declare its independence. Yes, the Haitian Revolution has been a very important revolution and its independence to African people in particular and all oppressed people in general. And the influence, the impact is still being felt today. So we're going to give us a loop and remembering and continuing on the spirit of the Haitian Revolution its independence in 1804 on the 1st of January. Also, when you talk about a revolution, we cannot forget that in 1959, on this day, January 1st, Cuban revolutionaries led by Fidel Castro and Brother Jay overthrew Batista, and they received their independence on the day, on this day. And like always, when we talk about Cuba, we love Cuba. Cuba is an integral part of the African liberation ongoing movement. When Africa called Cuba answer, at this stage of our development and our historic, in, in this historical juncture, we also must come to our brothers and sisters' aid in Cuba. Cuba Revolution, we salute to our brothers and sisters in Cuba and their revolution, which took place on this day in 1959. And last but not least, is the seven day of Kwanzaa of Argani. It celebrates the seven principles of Imani, faith. Of course, we must have faith in the people, because it's only through the people where all things are possible. So, on this day of the first, this day of liberation, these significant events, we want to always keep that in the hearts and our minds and emulate the positive aspects that these rubbishary events represent. So on that note, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Moon. This is the 1st of January, 2023, Part 3, Cuba, Africa, and Liberation. Continue the journey down the road by introducing you to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. At this point in time, we'd like to bring in Brother Haki. We'd like to wish him and our listening audience, everyone, a happy Kwanzaa. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. And we'd like to welcome him to the new year, 2023. 
Welcome, Brother Haki, to Africa on the Move. New Year 2000. Brother Africa, <clears throat> my name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing is all about institution building, but prior to talking about institutions, I think certain kind of myths, certain kind of fictions have to be dispelled. One of the biggest myths in American society is this, this perception that, in fact, that America is a democracy. So what I want to do is to illustrate some history in terms of understanding, you know, why this notion of America being a democracy is, is merely a myth. So I think in reading this, this history, I think people come to understand that there's something fundamentally wrong in terms of the, 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 the acclamation that, in fact, is a democracy, but in all practicality is anything but a democracy. But in any event, Brother Africa, check this out. Now, the illusion of democracy did not start in the 19th century, but long existed starting at the beginning of the republic when leading representatives debated the best way forward for the wealthy elites to sustain economic benefits for themselves. Part of ensuring benefits for the economic elites entailed electoral policy disenfranchising much of the electorate that threatened interests of the powerful. Poor people, women, and enslaved Africans were excluded out of pragmatism as the wealthy enjoyed control over all things economic and economical and political. This formula, due to success, continues to be implemented by powerful politicians in service of capitalism that, that control behind the scene. Strategic objectives employed by economic elites to further their interests have facilitated push, pushback from the populace. Demands of equality, fair wages, and affordable housing resonated throughout the nation, and if capitalism were to maintain equilibrium, these concerns on a superficial level had to be accommodated. In response to the masses' discontent, the level of money pumped into the system between the 1970s and 1980s skyrocketed. This increase in money supply did not just help many among the populace receive a better quality of life, but it also benefited businesses, investors, and the U.S. economy. By 1983, the U.S. economy performed so well, it entered into one of the largest periods of sustained economic growth since World War II. Despite this huge injection of money into the economy, according to the World History Journal, inflation remained steady for four consecutive years between 1983 and 1987, averaging around 3.2%. The notion too much money in the system creates massive inflation was the bunk, leaving the question, if creation of money does not necessarily lead to high levels of inflation, then what does? Perhaps the objectives of capitalists play a, a large part in determining the outcomes of inflationary policy. Control of the vast share of assets, capitalists are strategically situated to impact market prices and in so doing, strategically could impact reports of inflation, inflation levels. Ironically, during Reagan's term as president, the free market advocate inflation concerns reversed by decreasing, by decreasing taxes on the wealthy, then raising the taxes on the wealthy. Now, according to classic economic theory, it holds that raising taxes should have been the death knell for the economy. Instead of economic decline in the U.S., the economy actually grew. Now, to the layperson, this is great news. However, for the capitalists, such revelations could undermine their interest in maintaining and sustaining economic control. Consequently, as, his, as history evolves, the electorate or voters were seen as problematic. <coughs> Concerted efforts were employed to disenfranchise voters, from voter suppression to gerrymandering, along with voter intimidation, the focus is to eliminate voters' preferences or ideas that challenge systems of, of power implicated in the suppression of economic rights for all people. More cities' attacks on the system of electoral politics by categorizing 
the voting system as fundamentally corrupt. When Trump discounted the, the election results, implicit in his declaration were legitimate votes were disqualified and the votes of anti-democratic forces or anti-capitalists were counted in opposition to a fair trial. Had Trump critiqued targeted the Electoral College for his dubious endorsement of superdelegates, his discontent could, could have resonated with the majority of the people. Trump's embrace of divisive politics, rather than providing clarity, served as the catalyst to spur hate-filled politics and interest to powerful elites in a deleterious impact on liberal democracy. Now, two examples of attacks on democracy in the age of Trump. First, in Minnesota, a Republican candidate for Attorney General Jim Schultz advocated an end to criminal or civil prosecutions for corporate crimes and or malfeasance. Schultz's position is, pursuit of economic justice against corporations is ill-advised because such legal action hurts corporate profits. In other words, pursuit of justice against others is justified, but interference in corporate opportunity to make money crosses the line. In lieu of Schultz's reasoning given Citizen United ruling, corporations are already treated as individuals, and as individuals, what possibly could be the rationale for employing one standard of law for individual citizens who evade justice and another for corporate entities as individuals? Against this backdrop, can we reasonably conclude the U.S. is a working democracy or something else? The second example, <coughs> casting doubt on democracy, excuse me, second example, Governor DeSantos of Florida attempted to pass a law that limits colleges and universities can teach about racism and sexism. The law called the Individual Freedom Act will prohibit dissemination of any information that causes anyone to feel pain, guilt, psychological distress due to race, color, or national origin. The absurdity of this law is staggering. On a university level, no idea should be out of bound. University expressly exists to elevate thinking. The notion of comfort should exist as a criteria to disseminate information compels students to remain blissfully ignorant. In order, that a, in order that a viable liberal democracy exists, information is vital. What the Santos Ravona is more pliable or more manipulative-prone citizenry that's too disempowered educationally to understand when the government lies or when media narratives are promulgated specifically to deceive. This point can be illustrated in DeSantis' own press release. In a press release, he alludes to the distress resulting from racial awareness. In the 21st century, one would think racial characterizations would be dis discounted from a human vocabulary. Race being a social political construct has no biological basis. Skin color does not define uniqueness, but is a mere adaptation to environmental conditions. DeSantis' use of the term race is specifically used to connote differences, when in reality we are one species. Such divisions imposed by distorting science only serves to undermine attempts to achieve democracy, instead maintaining social political conditions that prevents the emergence of real democracy. Now, the problems confronting the attainment of true democracy are many in the society. Currently, 40% of Generation Z, those ages 18 to 25, are dealing with mental health challenges, according to the Indiana Data Management. 20% receive therapy, 57% take psychotropics, medications, and 39% visit psychiatrists on a daily basis. Lack of democracy in U.S. society is implicated in the ills inflicted in the population. Without real democracy, the antecedents of hopelessness, despair, and inequality will only expand, leaving in its wake increasingly more desperate people, emotionally and psychologically unstable, with nothing left to lose other than their chains. Implementing democracy will be a much more viable alternative to civil war stoked by a real lack of democracy in society. And Brother Africa, I'll close with that.
Thank you, thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we would like to go to Brother. Let's take Brother Moses. We would like to welcome him as well to Africa on the Move. Brother Moses, Happy New Year, and welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Moses. Happy New Year, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And uh, we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And the struggle continues to be to unite the many against the hoarding and and races, vicious, profit-driven few. And uh, we we must not be divided by skin color, um, racial, sex, or whatever. Um, we must see through all these little little characteristics and just uh, human condition. And recognize that the problem is one of human relationships, ultimately, and that it's the politics it's about politics, and that we must put politics in command, and and keep our eyes on the prize, and recognize we have a common goal and struggle to meet that goal. And uh, anyway, I just thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. From Brother Moses, we go to Brother Maurice. We'd like to wish him happy New Year and welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Maurice. Uh, Revolutionary greetings, uh, Brother Africa. Um, my, my name is Brother Maurice, Brother Subukwe, as some call me. I'm an organizer for the PRHP, Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party. I'm a supporter for the AAPRPDC um and again, AAPRPGC, uh, All Africans, People, Revolutionary Party, uh, Guinea Conakry. And I'm a, more than ever, I'm, I'm a worker for the people. And uh, please keep uh, Brother Anthony and my father in your prayers as they continue to progress. Thank you so much. We most certainly will, my brother. And next, from Brother Maurice, we go to our sister, Eleanor. We'd like to wish her as well. Happy New Year's, and welcome to Africa on a Move. To my sister, Eleanor, welcome. Well, um, thank you, Brother Africa. Good evening. Happy New Year's to you and my fellow elders and to our listening audience here and abroad. Um, Happy New Year's, and as we look back on the year past, we see the January 6th committee and the work that is done to bring uh, Donald Trump to justice. We see the uh, hard fought in Atlanta, Georgia. And we see, as Brother Hakeem mentioned, we see people continuing to fight for basic rights 
and basic things such as affordable housing, health care, quality education. And in Jackson, Mississippi, people are still fighting for one basic thing, clean water, as they are in Flint, Michigan. But thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this, the evening's forum. And again, a happy New Year's to you and our listening audience and our panelists. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. At this point in time, you listen to Africa on the Mood. This is the first of New Year's, January the 1st, 2023. Our theme today is Part 3, Cuba African Liberation. As we started our show earlier, earlier we mentioned to you that um, what a great day, January the 1st, to talk about liberation, given all the very significant events that have taken place on this day. And um, we would like to take a revolutionary culture break. And during that revolutionary culture break, we're going to play some music typifies the importance of liberation because culture must be understood and be used as a tool for liberation. And then when we come back, we'll have a discussion on what's going on in our world and what's going on in your world and community with our political panelists and analysts. And we welcome you as well to join us by dialing in 323 Six seven nine zero eight four one. Again, you can call in at three two three six seven nine zero eight four one to share with us what's going on in your world and the community. This is Africa on the Move. We're celebrating January the first as a significant date, like all days are for liberation. This is Brother Africa, and we'll be right back. Oh. 
Well, you just hope you've chosen wisely on the right side of the Lord, and when you die, your conscience, it is clear. You'd best hope your atom bombs are better than the sword, and the time when your reckoning is here. Cause I don't think Jesus would send guns just in the Bethlehem, or jets to raise the towns of Timorese. I don't think Jesus would lend money to dictators, or try those SUVs. I don't think Jesus would ever have dropped a single ounce of napalm. Who would Jesus find? Who would Jesus
That's right. We said it. That's right. We said it. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. Because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. Are you man enough? Are you woman enough? Panelists and listening audience, we want you to answer this question. Are you man enough or woman enough to fight capitalism? Are you man enough? Are you woman enough to fight imperialism? Are you man enough or woman enough to fight Zionism? Are you man enough or woman enough to fight any system that exploit man and woman? That's right. We said it. We're going to ask the question. We're going to give you what you need, not what you want. Panelists, before we go to our segment or discussion of what's going on in your world and community, the revolutionary culture want to know, are you man enough and woman enough to fight imperialism, Zionism, capitalism, all the forms that exploit human beings, while at the same time, I said, while at the same time, this day is a good day who left us a great legacy. As we talk about the 219th anniversary of the independence of the Haitian Revolution or the 64th anniversary of the Cuban Revolution, they left us a great legacy to look up to and to carry on. So what I'd like to know two questions. Are you man enough or woman enough to fight these exploited systems? And our other aspect of our cultural presentation, they raised the question, the issue of, if Jesus was among us today, who would he bomb? I'd like to hear your answers for those two questions. If Jesus was among us today, panelists and analysts, who would we bomb? Who would we bomb? Talk to me, Brother Hackey. Talk to me. You in the seat. I know you can take the heat because you're going to define it and you're going to stand behind it, Brother Hackey. Talk to us. Yeah, well, I, I think with respect to the Haitian and Cuba um uh, find examples in terms of standing up for that which is right. I think it's worthy of emulation. I think it's important that we understand that the struggle of, of good versus evil, or for in, in, if, if we're going to get uh, um, you know ecumenical about the argument, uh, this the struggle in terms of opposing forces. One in terms of teaches enlightenment, and others teaches uh, the exact opposite. We have a moral obligation in terms of standing for that which is right, that which is that which is progressive, that which is pushed forward, that which is uh, wholesome, that which acknowledges the goodness of of, of, of of human beings. And so, therefore, when we look at the Haitian and Cuban examples in terms of you know establishing that precedent, you know we be we be well advised you know to continue the tradition in terms of this fight against capitalism, which is in itself um, indicative of all the kind of malaise, the kind of selfishness, the kind of hatred the kind of backwardness uh, that uh, retards, you know, uh, human growth. So clearly we have a, we have a vested interest in terms of voting that which, is, that which is positive, that which is right, that which is good. I think in terms of if Jesus was a, um, if Jesus was, a, was here in terms of who he bombed, <laughs> I think it, certainly he wouldn't be, he, he, Jesus wouldn't be bombing the, 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 the affirmed or the, or the sick or the powerless. Uh, certainly he would be bombing them. If, if Jesus were to pick up weapons and bomb anybody, it'd be the transgressors. It'd be those who are responsible for the kind of uh, uh, perpetuation of, of, of suffering, injustice, and inequality that permeates the society as it currently exists. So I think in that regard, I think uh, Jesus probably would look first and foremost at the West. In particular, he would look at Americans and listen, if anything needs to be liquidated or if they need to be uh, destroyed on this planet, 
it has to be America in terms of you know being the 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 the, the epicenter you know of all things unjust. Uh, so clearly, I think if Jesus was in fact, if he you know if he were to put aside his principles in terms of the use of violence, I think he would probably say, listen, under given the context, given the, 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 the level of evil, the level of um, uh, vindictiveness, or the level of, of hatred that exists in, in, under the guise of capitalism, then clearly that system has to go. And if that means that we have to fundamentally bomb it in terms of getting rid of it to set a new paradigm, then that's what we got to do. But, of course, that's assuming Jesus will put aside his principles. Uh, but clearly, Brother Africa, I think is, is but, it's, but I, I think it's, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> when he posed that, it's very, very interesting uh, because the thing is that when you look at it in terms of the practice, in terms of, you know, when you look at religion, which is designed to bring the best out of human beings, uh, often these religions get uh, co-opted. And you find situations, particularly in America, we got people who say they're Christian naturalists, and you ask yourself, Christian nationalists, what does that really mean? Isn't that contradictory? How, I mean, how can you be on one hand a Christian and on the other hand a, a nationalist? You can't be you can't be one against the other. So it's oxymoronic even to raise such a such a, a such a such a concept. But nonetheless, there are people in the society who actually believe that Jesus that Jesus would stand for uh, destruction, would stand for racism, would stand for injustice, would stand for intoleration. And, and it's, it's ironic. You know that all those things are the exact opposite of what those scriptures teach. Uh, so it's very, very interesting in terms of you know, that 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 um, that paradigm. But anyway, brother Africa, to answer your question, I think certainly if Jesus was to put aside his his principles, uh, if you're going to obliterate evil or or injustice or suffering, uh, certainly America will be at the top of the list in terms of the countries you will bomb. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Go to Brother Moses, the one who parted the water. Brother Moses, talk to us. Are you man enough or woman enough to take on and fight against the evil systems? Whether imperialism, capitalism, Zionism, any system that exploit man and woman, if Jesus would live me day, who do you think he would bomb, Brother Moses? Well, I... I tell you, it's, it's it's a rough world out here. Uh, <clears throat> um, Jesus Jesus wouldn't bomb anybody. That's the basic thing. But but his righteous indignation, the righteous indignation, which which made him turn over the money changers at, and and say this temple should be a house of worship. Um, that righteous indignation is the same indignation that gave us nine eleven. And uh, the World Trade Building bombings, and et cetera, et cetera, the same indignation, uh, that spirit of, of this overwhelming capitalist spirit must be combated. And, um, you know, but, um, you know, the, the, they say the devil meant it for evil, but God meant it, God turned around it for good, I guess. Um, but anyway, um, I think, you know, Jesus wouldn't bomb anybody, but, you know, like I said, he had righteous indignation. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And going from Brother Moses, we can go to Brother Subukwe. Brother Subukwe, talk to us. What is your position on those two questions? The mic is yours, Brother Subukwe. Thank you. Thank you, Brother. When you look at mass media, the video games, violence, games, uh, the movie, sexual exploitations, commercials, advertisement on a radio station, capitalism, imperialism, right? When we look at 
our communities. You got the skyscrapers that, uh, going up high in the air. You got sports stadiums being built enormously. You got uh, shopping centers being built, jails, while homelessness, while homelessness increased, gentrification flourishing, and our schools crumble. That's capitalism, capitalism. So when you ask the question, if you're a woman, woman enough or man enough or human enough to stand against capitalism, we have no choice but to stand on it. You can't be a man of Jesus if 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 you if you for if you for uh, 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 people being exploited, sexual exploited, uh, minerals being stolen, firestone flourishing off of the rubber rubber in Liberia, uh, Procter and Gamble fl- uh, flourishing off the the palm oils and the palm trees and all of the minerals and resources that they exported from Africa. You have we have no choice. You had 150 youth. Children, majority predominantly African, murdered in New York. That's just only one city. Uh, that is going on in all of our cities around the world. So when you ask that question, brother Africa, we we don't have no choice, man. To be uh, man, that's our that's that's the that's the final that's where we at. It's not no final conclusion. Uh, uh, uh that's the, that should have been the first damn conclusion. You know, we we so distracted and divided. When you look at all of these ills and evils. It produced. It, it, this stuff is produced and exploited by capitalism. And our 2023 PRSP calendar, the theme is the youth being caught up in the snares of capitalism. We can't we can't keep uh, pointing the finger at our youth and saying, "Oh, why that sister dressed so sexually? She's naked and she's showing herself. Oh, that brother is so so rude. He got no manners." It's capitalism is the reason for that. They they export our you know our, our talents for uh, their purposes. They conform our our positives and their negatives. We got to do the opposite. We got to conform their negatives and to positives. We got to conform what they give us, like 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 our ancestors did in, in the plantation. They had to take the scraps and conform it into a meal. But we got to do we got to we got to upgrade, brother. And sister, we got to we got to we got to conform our struggle and something greater into uh, organ organization. Not not just joining any organization, a political revolutionary scientific socialist organization. It is 2023. Yeah, the number has changed on a year, but the but the system has not changed. Uh, the evils of the world has not changed. If Jesus was here, I think Jesus would became to the point that he would understand that class struggle will have to take place to get rid of these people that the Romans, as in the Romans that killed them, as in that class that killed them, as in the feudalism, the feudalists, uh, these queens, queens, governors, presidents, these people who are selfish and want to be parasitic and want to support the masses of people. I think Jesus, yeah, we, we was we was taught that Jesus was, was nonviolent, but I believe Jesus would have, would have evolved from positive action as what Akuma cause it and when it came to the to the conclusion of class struggle thank you happy new year happy new year to you brother to Bukwe and to sister Eleanor we bring you in sister Eleanor your response to these two questions sister Eleanor talk to us well I I feel Jesus would end all embargoes and against Cuba and uh, uh, Venezuela and Nicaragua and uh, 
uh, also, uh, as Brother Moses and uh, Brother Marie said, he uh, would crush capitalism, social imperialism. He would unite the masses right now to stand up against fascism. And uh, we would see a turnaround in the world. We see universal health care. We see the planet saved from carbon emissions. And uh, we would not uh, continue to uh, drill and, um, and have presidents and leaders around the world that build coal uh, factories and build, uh, offer oil leases and... Uh, the indigenous people would be amongst the leaders of the 180-degree turn of our universe. And it would be a class struggle. The workers united will defeat the few imperialists and extreme, these capitalists, they're they're robbing uh, the people and the planet. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, and right back, let's make our transition to the segment, What's Going On in Your World and the Community. Brother Haki, we come back to you. What's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki? Uh, Brother Africa read an interesting article uh, last week, and it talks about the fact the the FBI is somewhat the FBI is somewhat perturbed in terms of uh, you know the right wing uh, using Twitter accounts to sort of um, tarnish the image of the uh, of the FBI. I thought that was very interesting. In fact, that the FBI is now proclaiming the right wing. Uh, as, as as a potential adversary, and I think that's that's very interesting. But I want you to check this out, Brother Africa. Now, the surreal quality of American life manifests in both public and private spheres, often at dimensions too opaque to be rationalized. A recent article revealed the displeasure of FBI officials excoriating conspiracy theorists for tarnishing the good name of the FBI by highlighting FBI's influence with regard to whom is allowed a platform to speak on social media and who is not. <clears throat> what information is allowed to be presented on social media platforms and what information is suppressed. Normally, conspiracy theory characterization is reserved for progressive commentary, but in this case, reserved for right-wing commentary, normally an ally of the FBI. Now, the FBI assertion right-wing, right-wingers are using platforms like Twitter to weaponize hatred of the FBI is without a doubt uncharted territory, but the term weaponized clearly indicates the right-wing's methods of organizing the right are problematic for the FBI and as such, the idea must be conveyed the right wing is quickly approaching the status of adversary, a designation normally reserved for progressives. Now, the term weaponized also has different connotations because the basis of weaponization is a use of strategy for the purpose of attacking a person or group. FBI allegations, allegations that ideas could be used to discredit bureaucracy is a stretch. Bureaucracy, which the FBI is a part of, exists for good or bad, and no amount of highlighting the surreptitious activities of the FBI would change the FBI's functions to protect capital. When all is said and done, 
the defendant's definition of weaponized lies squarely with the FBI's historical role in its relationships with its stated objective of longstanding and ongoing federal government and private sector engagements. Weaponization of policy by the FBI has long, a long and sordid history. Acting as a catalyst, catalyst, the FBI has been crucial in destroying constitutional freedoms, particularly the First Amendment, First Amendment freedom of speech, and the Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search and seizures, while employing bribery to achieve its objectives. The most recent example, World News Report, the FBI paid Twitter $3.5 million to censor various information, including COVID-19 and corporate corruption. This duplicitous strategizing by the FBI fundamentally holds primary and inform or enlightened population is bad for democracy. Now, often engage in power plays to encourage social media and tech firms to skirt the law by providing information on individuals without court, without court warrants seems badly misplaced. FBI's ability to get its way by discarding the law has been extremely effective. According to the Electronic Frontier, Frontier Foundation, by ATT's own records, has calculated up 250,000 requests by the FBI to gain access to private information. Only 965 times was the FBI rejected. Now, this successful methodology has manifested FBI's insistence backdoor technology being installed in social media and tech firms' uh, software to allow for easier spying and data collection of the populace. Under the ban of Communications Assistance for Law Enforcement Act, or CILIA, the FBI was able to offer legislation, offer legislation that justifies spying on the public without a court warrant, provided the court warrant be pursued at some later point, although the, that point of time was not specified. When social media tech firms attempted to uphold constitutional protections for citizens or enforcement of their policy to protect the privacy of the citizens, the FBI carried it with CELIA Act II, in which under the auspices of the Office of the Inspector General, the FBI would pay telecommunications firms for equipment modifications in 1998 with the express purpose to maximize FBI's ability to intercept electronic communications. Modification of equipment greatly increased the quantity of private information that could be captured, but the switch to digital technology facilitated the speed in which both electronic and wiretap communications could be intercepted. Newfound abilities to monitor wire or communications were celebrated by the FBI but the question of legality persisted. Making policy that's odious is one thing, but the legitimacy needed to justify practices that are perceived as violation of constitutional right, rights is another. State legitimacy was needed to augment what is essentially theft, and with the speed with which soft, spy, spy software was being innovated, legal authorization had to be reconciled and reconciled quickly. Now, reconciliation would take place in the form of two pieces of legislation that essentially decreed Fascism is, in fact, an American way of life, and notions of constitutional rights are foolish or misplaced. The first piece of legislation was the Telecommun Telecommunications Act of 2000. Unlike the two previous Telecommunications Act, this one stipulated any laws that prevent or hinder intelligence organizations from collecting wire or oil communications is legally prohibited. Not only are constitutional rights proscribed or denied by law, any information obtained can be used by government for prosecution of an individual without disclosing where the, and how the information was obtained. Potential for government misconduct is so clear, it would be difficult not to conclude this would not end up well for society. The second piece of legislation in 2006 involves the Patriot Act, the second piece of such legislation. Patriot Act grants sweeping power to government to engage in surveillance without regard to legal parameters. This act implicitly endorses the culpability of the inherent guilt 
of individuals caught up in a government dragnet, even when the individual's guilt cannot be substantiated by the, by the, by the state. Under this law, probable cause is suspended and mere allegations are sufficient to land an individual in prison. It is instructive to revisit the case of Geronimo Jijega Pratt, convicted of a crime that occurred 2,000 miles away. Much like Mumia Abu-Jumar case or Jamil Alamin case, truth has no bearing on the adjudication of procedure elements in establishing guilt. The goal of the act is to criminalize those that speak out against injustice. Just as the Twitter files exposed recently and the Citizens Commission to investigate the FBI exposed in 1971, incidents of illegally spying on the citizens does not entail counterintelligence considerations by the FBI, but a browsing attempt to control the free flow of information vital to democracy by imposing de facto censorship on the populace and in the process criminalizing speech which is constitutionally protected. Numerous individuals have spoken out on the totalitarian drift of U.S. institutions. Former President Obama attempted to rein in the threat of constitutional destructions by passing the USA Freedom Act. Former Congressman Ron Paul had been adamant depriving citizens of freedom of speech is a very slippery slope. State attorney generals of both Missouri and Louisiana have castigated the FBI and other intelligence agencies, 12 to be exact, about ill-advised meetings with Twitter, Facebook, and tech firms and a perceived conflict of interest. But despite these interventions, FBI insistence is just doing its job is fraught with uncertainty. Given alternatives that exist to avoid censorship, why follow the predictable path? Utilizing initiatives like fairness clause or presenting two sides of a debate would achieve the kind of moderation and public discourse that is sought. FBI's fear progressive analysis would be more persuasive to the populace if allowed to sustain the platform is probably true. But it affords the FBI the opportunity to halt draconian policies that will exacerbate the tensions that currently exist in society by encouraging the majority who would like to see political change by way of legislation. While FBI mandates to uphold the interests of capital may use such a proposal as counterintuitive, the reality is declining capitalism is inevitable and plotting a path toward a new paradigm would be would be the catalyst society desperately needs. And Brother Africa, I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Brother Sabukwe. What's going on in your world in the community? Brother Sabukwe. Yes, Brother. Uh, currently, we just, uh, the PRSP, Pan-African Revolution at Socialist Party, just released the 2023 calendar Capitalism Kills. Um, you can reach out uh, by visiting Pan-African Revolution at SocialistParty.org. To, or you can reach out to myself um, to, to um, request a calendar. Uh, also, what's going on in the world is recently a, a brother from the Congo who migrated from the Congo to Buffalo, New York, was found dead doing, along with other, uh, 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 he, well, let me be, be he, he was found dead like other Africans during this winter storm in Buffalo, New York, uh, a a woman had found his found him, you know, freezing literally to death, and was trying to get assistance from other neighbors in the area, but was rejected. So she drove 20 minutes to the nearest hospital, where he basically died. Um, the article speaks about a the senior vice president. Uh, of, of 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 the uh, Kalita Health Network coming out and speaking 
against that woman who claimed made those claims and said that he came that he did not uh he was not rejected at the other homes. He came to the house, he was found dead when he uh arrived to the hospital he was already dead. But neither here or there this signifies that Africans all over the world must unite. Uh some Africans on the continent think it's not it's not a source of thinking. They they get to America and, and they trying to flood the violence and the hell that they are catching over there from neocolonialism and colonialism and imperialism and capitalism, all these isms that is produced by capitalists, Western European capitalists and uh sellouts, sellout neocolonial neocolonialists, they evacuate the continent and try to come to America and think that they would get some type of better treatment and still wind up dead due to Buffalo being a but uh, 70% African or black population. Uh, that city did not take the necessary steps to protect people, um, and, and, and not only to protect people, but people still had to go to work. People needed food. Electricity was out. Uh, why are you cutting people electricity off uh, during during the during the storm? And if the storm is cu- causing electricity is, is to be cut off, what 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 avenues were put in place or alternatives were put in place to protect these people? So we urge and say over and over again: Africa must unite. Africans all over the world must unite uh, tremendously in dire right now. Die need that that we 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 unite because as we as we come to understand um America is not the land of the free or the home of the home of the brave more the home of where they made us enslave here and we still enslave under this wage label under under this capitalist system so I conclude those are the, the, some of the things that's going on in my world thank you. Thank you, Brother Sabukwe, and we'll move on to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Thank you, thank you, Brother Astor. Um, uh, it's, it's, this, this recency, the recency says, um, uh, I think Barbara Walters just passed away, and um, Paley, the great soccer player, um, definitely passed away. Um, Definitely want to recognize that the most recent things that come up. Um, meanwhile, um, as uh, the Answer Coalition, Act Now to Stop War and End Racism, has called for a demonstration on April, of, not April, January the 14th. January the 14th, I think that's a Saturday, to be in New York and, San, and uh, I believe San Francisco, if not LA. I think it's San Francisco. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's that'll be going on uh, to to end the war in Ukraine and, and stop NATO, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, meanwhile, let's see. The, nothing new, extraordinary has happened on the Trump Trump uh, situation, uh, as I can think of. Uh, uh, I'm. Uh, Mm-hmm. I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. 
That sounds like a winner to me, Brother Moses. We're going to another winner, Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your world in the community, Sister Eleanor? I've been struggling uh, with uh, uh, health and uh, hospitalizations, but at the same time, uh, my brothers and sisters, as I said earlier, in Jackson, Mississippi, are still struggling just to have clean water as they are in Flint, Michigan. Um, We also see that uh, there has been a, uh, with the traumatic weather uh, uh, responses, um, with global warming, we saw uh, a number of deaths in the United States. People literally, as uh, Maurice was saying, uh, to add on to that, that people freezing to death in their homes because of a lack of energy. So we see uh, a failing infrastructure and the impact that it's having on the working class. And uh, we continue to see Governor a- a- Abbott uh, shipping immigrants from El Paso uh, he shipped a busload of about 55 people up to Vice President Kamala Harris's residence. So we continue to see uh, a struggle, a uh, political uh, struggle, and racism continues to be at the top of the list uh, with extreme Uh, discrimination faced by the descendants of the slaves in the United States. And oppression is something that everyone faces. And so on this New Year's Day, I stand in solidarity with uh, the Cuban people and would say I've been thinking about them uh, and uh, learning more about them and uh, President of Cuba's recent visit to Russia and standing up against NATO. Um, uh, Right now, everyone in the world should be thinking about uh, NATO. It it has no purpose. Why are we preparing to arm the European continent with weapons of, quote, uh, mass destruction in the 21st century. Uh, this is uh, something that everyone in the United States needs to uh, think about and in every municipality fight and uh, politicize what's going on and uh, fight for the abolishment of NATO. So for me, that's it for today. And I just once again like to say uh, Happy New Year to everyone. And uh, I stand once again in solidarity with the Cuban Palestinian people and all oppressed people. And uh, the biggest fight we have right now is the fight against fascism. is the fight of our lifetime. Thank you, Mother Africa. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, and you don't want to strain yourself too much. We know you severely is under the weather and trying to recuperate, and if you need to, 
you know, take some time off to let that body get some rest so you can be stronger, so you can last longer because we need your sister. We'd like to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to Africa on the Move. Allowing us to come to your homes this evening where we can speak to the powerful and the powerless. We're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the segment a little bit longer about what's going on in your world and the community, and we invite you to call in as well. I'm down in 323-679-0841. I'm Brother Africa. This is Africa on the Move. This radio program is under the direction of the African Awareness Association. Uh, also coming back, we'll ask Brother Haki. We have extended the date to the 9th as the final date. If you want to join us, free to ride to Cuba and support Cuba. And today is the 64th anniversary of the Cuban Revolution. It asks us to tell a little more about the upcoming trip and uh, why it's important to um, support the Cuban Revolution and its people. So this is Africa on the Move, as we say. We may not give you what you want, but we damn sure we do our best to give you what you need. We'll be right back. Some of those that work forces, 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 some of those
do what they told you. Now you do what they told you.
That's right. Who set the world on fire? Earlier, you listened to a song by Rage Against the Machine called Killing in the Name. We welcome you back to Afghan Moo. We're going to continue our discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. Before we go any further, we would like to have Brother Haki come in since we are celebrating also the 64th anniversary of the independence and the Cuban Revolution. So we would like Brother Haki to talk about the upcoming Feed Ride trip travel challenge that will take place from January to the 23rd to the 30th. And for those who have not um, um, secured their seat, there has been an extension of a week. You have to January 9th to act upon that and come and join us. So, Brother Haki, as we celebrate the 64th anniversary of the Cuban Revolution, uh, talk about the importance of the trip and about Cuba. The mic is yours. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the history of Cuba in terms of this um, support of the African Revolution is very, very, very clear. I think for most people, I think they have some inkling in terms of their contribution. But, you know, when you, when you, when you look at uh, Cuba's contribution specifically but in respect to Angola, and you look at the sacrifices that the Cuban made, I mean, it, it just speaks it speaks volumes. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, the, the leader of UNITA, UNITA at the time, Jonas Mbindi, was a, was a starch ally of the West. In fact, the West had the designs to use uh, Jonas Mbindi, uh to attack uh, Marxist leaders throughout the African continent. And so the whole point was to uh, secure, you know, uh, a victory for Joseph Mbindi by giving him tons and tons of money and lots of military equipment. But despite the large expenditures coming from the U.S., in particular the CIA, and from coming from, uh, from Britain, from, from, they had them coming from Britain, uh, they had them come from South Africa, uh, despite these expenditures in the military weaponry, the gallantry of the Cuban troops in terms of fighting, you know, selfishly, uh, you know, selfishly, uh, you know, against, you know, the onslaught, you know, of the UNITA forces was something to behold. In fact, if it wasn't for the Cubans being there in Angola, UNITA, with the back in the United States, would have succeeded in terms of elevating Junior Sumbindi to the president of Angola, which meant that the rest of Africa would have been essentially put in a position to be destabilized and ensure that no change, uh, no uh, uh, revolution movement take place whatsoever on the entire African continent. So thanks to the Cubans in terms of their forthrightness, their commitment, to principle, uh, we we owe we owe Cuba a great deal of, of gratitude, in there, and it's important we understand that. And in acknowledging that, we understand when we talk about Cuba's role in terms of trying to elevate humanity, you know, it's it's it's, it's a quintessential example in terms of what we should aspire to be. And so, going to Cuba to see firsthand, you know, how the systems are organized, the benefits that the people of Cuba uh, 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 obtain by you know living in a system which says that you know, humanity is the priority. Uh, it's, 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 it's something to behold. So, you know, one of the things in the context of America, when we talk about the kind of selfishness, the kind of greed, the kind of avarice, the kind of hatred, all this, these kind of things that pit us against one another, is refreshing to go to society which says that, listen, we're trying to put aside all this frivolous nonsense like, you know, color your skin, uh, your class, and all these kind of things that tend to negate against the, the, the evolution of human beings. 
so what we're trying to do is create a different paradigm. And so it's, it's, it's something to behold. So we encourage people to go to Cuba to see for themselves firsthand, you know, that which is Cuba, and to talk to the people in terms of, you know, their views, political views around things. The greatness about Cuba is that aside from having a great educational system, the people are not afraid to articulate that which they feel. So talk to them. Any questions you have, you know, don't hold back. Ask the question. So we encourage people to go to Cuba firsthand because, you know, uh, support for Cuba is support for ourselves. And clearly, one thing is very, very clear. When we talk about the deconstruction of capitalism, in particular, when we talk about, you know, rising interest rates, it's all indicative of, 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 of decline. And because it's indicative of decline, we understand that as this thing goes down, the natural inclination of any political system in terms of maintaining its stability or certainly longevity is to find a convenient scapegoat. And in the context of American society, the scapegoat is historically has always been and will be African people. So having that understanding is, is essential that we go to Cuba to learn as much as we possibly can to bring it back to our communities, to share with people in the communities in terms of trying to build, build these structures that are geared toward resisting, you know, uh, this onslaught or this very, uh, uh, very aggressive uh, uh, posturing, you know, or very aggressive maneuvers, you know, by the state in terms of trying to solidify, you know, its continuation in terms of control. Uh, so for that reason, we encourage people to go to Cuba firsthand, and as Brother, Brother, Brother Africa alluded to, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're internally grateful in terms of what, what Cuba represents, and we encourage people to go. So by all means, go to Cuba and see yourself firsthand, that which is Cuba. That's right. If you want to make an investment, that's the greatest investment you can make is an investment of the people and human beings. Uh, elevate the thanking, the consciousness of the people by allowing them to live and see what a social revolution is all about and what it feels like. I also would like to just add as part of a supporter of the African Awareness Association and African on the Move, we actually our listenership to come and join us and support us, support African Awareness Association. And you can do that also. If you can't go, you can make a generous donation. You can donate to the African Awareness Association by doing a cash app. And the cash app is dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. Or send your checks from one order to P.O. Box, African Women Association, P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, Virginia, 23220. Give some kind of support. We can't be no more greater than with the people than the people participation with us. So we need your support. And when we talk about this important day to day of the Cuban Revolution and its 64th anniversary, of course we don't want to leave out the anniversary of the 219 year of the independence of the revolution in Haiti. And we will have a special program next week on that particular topic of the independence of Haiti and what Haiti meant to the world then and what it means to the world today. So our hats, our salutes, our hearts goes out to these ongoing uh, revolutionary movements and victories that our history has shown our people how to resist. So on that note, we will continue our discussion on what's going on in your world and community. If you have any thoughts or comments, please hit 1, dial 323-679-0841. Please hit 1, and we will acknowledge um, your last four numbers. As we continue to discuss what's going on in our world and the community, you know, that last song by Rage Against the Machine, it, it's titled Killing in the Name, in the Name of What? 
in the name of your name, in the name of what? The so-called democracy, in the name of what? Freedom, killing in the name of. But what I would like to ask the panelists in terms of, that was a recent incident, and if some of y'all are aware of this incident, I'd like to just, just get your thoughts on it, of the behavior of the law enforcement. Um, you know, what would make a law enforcement officer create a so-called a so-called sandwich of feces where he gave feces to a human being, to an African human being to eat. He did it more than one, and he just recently fired him. But it's go deeper than the act. I think we need to understand the reason why would people do something like that, and what is that an indica- indication? You have in law enforcement agencies people acting in such a detested uh, manner actually gave someone his feces and told him to eat it as a sandwich. I start out with you, Brother Haki. Your response, what what do you draw from this? What can you say about society where it produce people with that kind of demeanor? Where does he get this from? Well, you, you know, you know, uh, Brother Africa, unfortunately, you know, one of the things, certainly one of the downsides in terms of looking for people who are motivated by power is the potential that the people that you get are going to have this sociopathic quality. In the sense that they're sociopathic, in the sense that they really don't care about life. Life has no real value. Specifically, when you talk about the lives of those who are perceived as somehow uh, are powerless. And so, therefore, this, this individual sort of epitomizes the kind of sociopathic pathology that exists among so many in law enforcement. And, but, again, it's, it's, it's a direct reflection of the needs of the institutions. They want people who are followers. They don't want thinkers. And as a consequence, then the reality is when you get these sociopathic types, then you shouldn't be surprised at the kind of, uh, uh, kind of things that they do that are kind of productive in terms of antithetical in terms of being a human being. One of the things, this particular individual you talked about, Brother Africa, he did not only he did it twice, as you alluded to, and the first time he did it, they did there were no criminal charges. They simply fired him. He moved somewhere else and got another job as a police officer, and he repeated uh, this act of giving a homeless person a a, a sandwich uh, made out of uh, out of human human waste. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, this this is a, this is a, this has to be a concern of all people. And one of the things that I find ironic, there's really no push in terms of the federal agencies to compel states, you know, to be very circumspect in terms of the kind of people that you're giving this kind of power to. This notion that, you know, these sociopathic types are more, uh, are more viable as candidates for, for law enforcement persists, and the federal government refuses to do anything to, to tighten up on the standards in terms of ensuring that the people who become law enforcement agencies don't have this particular uh, – this particular problem in terms of this, 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 this propensity in terms of, you know, acting sociopathically. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, I think this, 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 this guy, uh, you know, more so, let me add this too if I can conclude. The fact that he wasn't, he wasn't in charge of the crime speaks volumes, Brother Africa. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to believe that, in fact, if he gave a, a, a human waste sandwich to someone of means, uh, someone who had power, certainly access to power, that there wouldn't be any real criminal consequences from giving someone a a human uh, a sandwich made out of human excrement, given the fact that potential for diseases and all this kind of thing that live in the context of human human excrement, I'm surprised that there was no criminal charges. Yet there was no criminal charges. Uh, could it be the, the the color of the 
of the homeless individuals that they did that to on two different occasions? Could that be a factor? Probably so. But 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 it's unfortunate, you know, uh, that the federal government don't take a tougher line in terms of ensuring that these people don't become law enforcement officials. The practice in terms of appointing these kind of people to law enforcement continues. And the bottom line is that, uh, you know, you got a system that sort of reinforces these social, social, social pathologies. So the bottom line is that this is not going anywhere. He's just having to get caught. Uh, if, we, we, if we look at other ways in terms of the, the process of terms of dehumanizing human beings, it runs the gamut. And, you know, so there are many, many ways in terms of dehumanizing human beings that law enforcement use. Uh, so this example, he got caught, and certainly is, is one of the more extreme uh, uh, methods in terms of dehumanization, but the question in terms of humanization generally exists with respect to law enforcement relationship, particularly those who are perceived as powerful or those who are perceived as minorities and those who are perceived as poor. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, this is, this, is, this is a problem, but it's par for the course. Brother Africa. Yeah, brother, brother, brother Maurice Sabukwang. Yes, sir. Uh, like, get your response. Get your response to this situation of the behavior of that particular law enforcement officer. Uh, so basically, when you live in a system that's not that that don't embrace embrace principles of egalitarianism, humanism, this is this is what you get. You know, uh, history showing us that people in the military that serve in the military have the same, demonstrated the same uh, behavior. People in colonialism, when Africa was being colonized, they had the same behavior, whether it was King Leopold chopping off limbs of Africans in the Congo, or whether it was Germans, uh, Nazis in Harare and Zimbabwe, chopping their heads off of Africans and killing Africans down there and taking their land, or whether it was Robert Baden-Powell, uh, the founder of the Boys and Girl Scouts um, program, whether it was him uh, in Africa murdering Ashantis and, 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 and Zulus, people, Zulu people. These are the same. This, this, when, you, when you have these, that type of mindset, that put it in the video games. Not only I'm not, I'm not I'm not talking about video games as as in just shooting and killing, but in 1992, it was a video game that was released based off of uh, Henry Stan, Stanley colonist and David Livingston, a colonist. Their involvement in Africa and on this video game that is produced by Nintendo, that is famous, famous, famously known for Mario. They go around killing Africans trying to save a colonizer who was captured by Africans in this video game, in uh, this Nintendo video game. So they literally not only put violence in the video game, they put the oppression of Africa and Africans in a video game. And, and this was in the 90s. So when you have that type of sadistic behavior in the media and video games and throughout our history, it's, I'm, not, I'm not shocked when you got people like Jeffrey Dahmer or this police cop or, or the other cop that was down there, in, in, I believe in Texas, raping sisters, African women, uh, just raping them, taking advantage of them. That's when you live in a, a, a capitalistic nation. They don't care about people who can't afford housing or don't have housing. They live in the street. You see uh, 
You see lofts going up, condominiums going up. You see revisions on sports complexes going up. Casinos are going up, but no homes, no facilities. People are frozen deaf in the cold right here in the capital of Richmond, slave capital of Richmond, Virginia, when you have uh, Af- you have a you have a, a, a neo-colonialist mayor, and you have a racist governor that that don't give a damn about African people or working class people or, or people who 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 don't have a home. That's what pre- creates that mentality to give uh, our homeless brothers and sisters a sandwich with feces in it. Can you understand this? This is no different than what they are doing in the waters in Haiti. Uh, cholera, if I can pronounce that word right, cholera, cholera, you know what I'm talking about. They done pissed, the United Nations done pissed and shit and spit and did any every, everything in the waters uh, to kill and cut off the water plant of what we celebrating today, the Haitian Revolution. You understand what I'm saying? So this is no shock. When you live in under this system, this parasitic system of imperialism, Capitalism built off of violence. This is what this is the behaviors that is replicate, replicated throughout throughout history and, and reality. So until we get a system of scientific socialism uh, on a continent, on 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 the continent, then we can have a, a mass production, if you will, or a mass development of egalitarianism and, and true humanitarianism, like this, like the country. Uh, you try to get tours for brother Africa, Cuba. Cuba is a country that is humanitarian and egalitarian with their medical profession, sending sending uh, their medical teams to other areas uh, all over the world countries to help people who are in need of medical attention, medical uh, technical assistance. This is what you get under a. They don't send militaries around the world to uh, to to try to uh, rape people land and rape people. They are sending people around the world to heal people. And these this is the country that's being attacked by this uh what we call the United Snakes of America. So yes, I, I'm not shocked when we hear that behavior. Excuse my tangent. Thank you, Brother Sabukwe. Brother Moses, your response to the officer of behavior. Brother Moses. Well um it's definitely uh, something that's horrific, uh, just disgusting, uh, uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if some kind of psychiatrist or something that needs to be involved to figure out what's going on with this person's mind, uh, and because uh, we're all product of conditioning, conditioning. So I do believe you know it's it's noble what is going on in their mind and why they act the way they act. Uh, it's a behavior problem. Uh, uh, I, 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 I hope, I hope he was fired. Uh, uh, they said no charges was, was made, but I hope he was fired at least. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we'll go to Sister Eleanor to get her response. Sister Eleanor. Again, we need racial justice in this country. We not even only need racial justice. We need uh, to have a true democracy. Now, this this kind of gross behavior is 
something that is obviously a part of the white nationalist movement that we see that resulted in that January 6th coup d'etat against the U.S. Capitol. Now, there were many police officers, military persons involved. The reality is the military, the police department, and other central services have been infiltrated by these neo-fascists, and they have no boundaries. And uh, it's sick and disgusting, and uh, there's no further comment other than right now is the time to reflect back on Cuba's victory in 1959 and to think that it is now time for the embargo that was 60 years old in 2022 to be uh, removed. And as uh, Brother Maurice said, this water crisis with cholera uh, is is, is uh, a thing against black people, the diaspora, whether in Jackson, Mississippi, Flint, Michigan, or Haiti, and now in 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 police precincts, uh, that that someone would do something like this to anyone and be able to move from police department to police department being rehired. It needs to be a national register when these officers are dismissed or fired or even if they are in whatever it might be, such as those involved in the January 6th they should never be allowed to work in law enforcement or within the government in any capacity at all. But this just talks about why it is important for the people to unite, for us to win over the large majority of the people to move away from the sickness that our society is facing so much perversion through social media, through the Internet. Uh, It is uh, like a disease. And uh, I I have no further comment other than this. Uh, it's, It's ridiculous that the municipality where this happened didn't take legal action against this man and the entire department because something had to be wrong and the way it functioned for him to even think that he could do such a thing. So it it speaks to how police are trained, what they think of their fellow citizens, and uh, it is not to serve and protect, but it is rather a militaristic approach to the citizens. And this type of violence has to be stopped. It's a form of violence, uh, doing something like that, serving a sandwich of excrement. Thank you.
thank you, Sister Eleanor. Sorry for the delay. Uh, we have some technical issues with our board, but just bear with us. But what we're going to do right now, we'd like to get a quick response from everyone dealing with another issue in terms of what's going on in our world and your community. Just a general response. Because it's, uh, it's indicative of a society that has no respect, not only for its own citizens, but particularly the youth. Now, recently, about two weeks ago, there was an incident at Winston-Salem University dealing with a student, an undergraduate student, and her interaction with one of the professors. Now, the professor made a demand from the student, the young lady, to give her an apology. Well, the contradiction in that particular uh, uh, demand was that the student could not understand what was the basis of the apology for, because she didn't see herself doing anything that deserved for her to apologize to. Now, that whole issue escalated to the point where the teachers called in law enforcement to come and take the students out, and they darn near broke both of their arms. And um, it was just a simple issue between the student and the professor trying to come to some clarity of why one should apologize to someone who never done anything about anything for apology. The issue was around the teacher told the student to redo her paper in a time period that was not possible to be done, and the student refused to do it and told her that she would give the report that their group have agreed upon. It seems to me the professor should have allowed their students to exercise her right to represent group through the report, and she gave her degree a grade accordingly. How and why did it get to this point of this student being locked up, going to an African institution, which you would think something like that was unthinkable, but to go into an African institution, and she was considered an honest student. She, she was the face of this university. And uh, how this escalated to the point where she ended up Going to, go, where she ended up being locked up, going to a prison cell, and the psychological impact of harm they may have caused the young lady, but she, but she seemed to be very strong, and she's standing up to her um, her convictions. Well, I'm just wondering in terms of how the whole school dealt with that, and the administration supported the position of, of, you know, of the teacher and what took place in that particular um, classroom. It's just that Something's wrong with that picture, uh, Brother Hackey, for that kind of behavior, first and foremost, to have law enforcement in universities taking students out of the classroom where the professor could not intellectually deal with a legitimate demand and understanding from her student. Your response to that phenomenon, Brother Hackey? Yeah, it, it, it was somewhat confusing. I mean, one of the things that normally... Uh, in those kind of exchanges, given the conditions or given where you are, uh, also the subjectivity comes into play. And so, in other words, if you're, say, in a, on the street somewhere, or say you're in, uh, in a restaurant, and a confrontation occurs, then all kind of subjective uh, ideas comes into being. And certainly one of the things in the context of American society, one of the things that uh, when it comes to African people, certainly the subjectivity you know, you know, uh, uh, knows no end. But the thing is about in the university setting, and you talk about those kids who, quote, unquote, aspiring, you know, a, a, a middle class, as they say, a middle class uh, uh, existence. Uh, so you have to agree that they, they have internalized certain, quote, middle class values up until that point. 
because the whole idea in terms of going to university is all about establishing your middle class credentials. Um, don't get me wrong; I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's, that's justifiable. That's not my point. My point is that you know, in terms of justifying the use of police in the context of a university, seems somewhat misplaced. Uh, one of the things, you know, if there's a a, a, a a problem in terms of a student, in terms around an assignment, as you look to Brother Africa, the, the exact thing, the correct thing to do is simply say, okay, well, listen, I'll just grade you accordingly. You know, you know, you know what, you know what my assignment rules were. You know what your expectations are. You don't meet them, you fail. Simple. You don't have to have a discussion. Simply, you know, you know what I mean. You have a discussion afterwards. You know, maybe when a student comes and say, hey, why did I get this grade on this on this report as opposed to this grade? And you can sit down and discuss it and explain to them. But certainly calling the police, uh, you know, in, in, in the context of a, a minor disagreement in terms of a paper, strikes me as extremely misplaced. I think, um, you know, the, this whole militarization of American society, where if there's a problem, you immediately call the police. I think it gets in the way in terms of, you know, real interactions among, you know, uh, those positions of power and those who are subjected to that power. So I think to, 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 to a large extent, you know, they, you're not, you really cannot really justify in a university setting calling the police unless the youth actually assaulted the professor, and then that's a different, that's a different context. But just in terms of disagreement, in terms of a university, in terms of the importance of discourse, or to be, or be able to defend your position, it was a, a teaching moment. And the mere fact that as opposed to using it as a teaching moment for the, for the, for the professor in terms of enlightening the student, she called the police. I, I don't understand it, Brother Africa, except to say that this notion in terms of the militarization of American society, whenever there's a problem, you call the police. Police, is, police problems only be resolved now if you call the police. And so it seems to be a fallback position for a lot of people in, in, in their professional capacities. It's unfortunate, but I certainly think in the context of a university, it should have never manifested, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki and Brother Maurice. As an educator, you in the classroom with students, what will be your response to this situation? How would you handle a conflict between a confrontation or a discussion between you and a student who may have a difference of opinion? Your response, Brother well, Maurice. Sure. This could have been prevented uh, if he really, if that educator really cared about his students, if he developed a relationship of his students, if he understood, understand the culture of the students. This is why integration was one of the worst things the government did to us as African people by removing uh, African African teachers, black teachers, melanated teachers, African teachers um, from uh, demoting them into janitors or demoting the principals into teachers, into janitors or what have you, um, and, make, and, and having us uh, led by or uh, having us in the classroom with, with European teachers. Um, this, this, is, this, this, is, this is the problem with going on in our public school systems. Uh, it's damn near 100% white female teacher populations uh, in our schools with 90% uh, of uh, the majority, over 50% of African population, uh, student population in the schools. And they, you know, they, 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 they get jealous uh, my experience as an educator, they get jealous. How come the kids come to you? How come the kids, everybody want to come to your classroom? How come, how come this and how come that? Uh, you, and, and how come uh, you, you, you have like a friend uh, friendship with them, but they still respect you and all this because I, I come from where these kids come from. 
I'm, I'm I, you know, their culture. I can relate to them. I went, I went through the things that 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 they are going through as a kid now and experiencing. And I, not only that, not on that. Moreover, I sincerely love our children. If you love your your, your students, I know this is college level. Might be different because you're dealing with adults. But same, the the, the, the same. The same uh, philosophy fits there. I've been in uh, uh, classrooms and college classrooms where I had professors that care about me sincerely and and and, and supported uh, my way of being in the classroom. If we had uh, a disagreement in the classroom, a police officer was that you know no no other outside source was was called. It was resolved between me and the professor because we had uh, I had developed that respect. For this teacher, because this 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 person um, understood my struggles, and and she sincerely care about my well being in the classroom. So I think I I think I I made my point clear, but it all it always resort back to having that humanitarian, uh, human humanistic egalitarianistic mindset that you really want to treat people how you want to be treated, how you want to be treated. And uh, that's that's the basis of it. If you if if those if they don't have that, they don't need to be in a classroom around any student, college, high school, or or elementary. Thank you. And Sister Eleanor, you also are educated, Sister Eleanor. How would you feel about that situation? Your response? I think that um, teaching is an act of love and of respect. So uh, the the instructor failed entirely. They failed to demonstrate respect, love, and to be able to communicate effectively. And they resorted to uh, aggression, uh, violence. I would say they resorted to violence by calling in a, the, the the police. And as we know, uh, when the police are called on African people, the results can be horrific, and it is a terrifying experience. Now, this was a dispute over a paper, perhaps, and the student not having time to do over a paper with their bibliography and research, I think the person should be, uh, the professor uh, should be dismissed. And I agree with Brother Maurice, you know, with, with, with the shortage of teachers and so many teachers coming from Teach for America and uh, being able to re- receive so many benefits for teaching in public schools, uh, we've seen uh, incredible racial imbalance, and we're continuing to see a decline in in, in African American education. Um, we we I think this is also by design. I don't think the fact that our children and our young adults are not uh, receiving advanced degrees is uh, entirely a choice. I think it's by design. And the threat that this professor uh, placed upon this student 
uh, was uh, not a demonstration of a professor. It it shows how uh, I was wondering whether this person was a tenured person. Do you know, Brother Africa? Because it seems like they were inexperienced. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, she was tenured. Yeah, I think she was. I think she was tenured. I'm not quite sure, but I think she was. It was a European teacher who said she loved African children. She she loves to uh, dominate the African children. You know, uh, racial justice again is the is, is the the phrase. You know, the inequity that uh, is being experienced, the wealth gap. And then to have this happen, and this is a person uh, alleging to love African people, the sexism uh, and and racism uh, has apparently been a part of her teaching without her knowing it. Because this is what I think uh, her behavior reflected, a lack of racial justice and respect for black people or African let me, people. Let me stop you right there, Sister Al and let's go to Moses. Brother Moses, your response. Are you with us, Brother Moses? Okay, while we're having some issues with Brother Moses, what I would also like to say about this case, and quickly, one-minute response for each one of y'all. Um, the administration seemed to try to uphold, justify that type of response. They seem somewhat, not necessarily say they totally agree how she dealt with it, but they really didn't say it that they was in disagreement in terms of that that response. Given the fact it's an African administration, do they hold more accountability to have a stronger response towards coming out more clearly on their position, or is or is more of a legal issue? They have to deal with the legal consequences, so therefore they must protect themselves and the interests of the institution. Where do you fall at, Brother Hackey, as relates to the lack of really response or the supportive response of that behavior for the administration, based upon my understanding, brother Hakeem. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it was legal legal considerations. I mean, if the professor felt under threat, uh, you know, and she did that, is 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 it's certainly understandable if she really felt threatened. I mean, of course, we can argue whether or not she was actually threatened, but if she felt threatened uh, because she did go next door to talk to another professor. Uh, you know, I'm sh- sure the university has to take all that consideration. I think that all boils down to, you know, really illegal consideration. So I think it's sort of, uh, I think it had a sort of chilling effect. I think that causes the administration to back up and say, listen, we'll just, you know, let this one go and we'll, we'll deal with it informally. But I think legal issues play a big part in terms of response from the administration. Quick response. Your response, Maurice, Dr. Sabukwe. Yes, um, yes, I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. I'm just wondering, what is your critique on the response or lack of response of their seems to have the administration being supportive of the act that took place in the classroom between the 
police officers and uh, taking the young lady out to classroom. Um, I'm just in terms of that, that yes. response. Do you think it was adequate? Well, just in general, how you dealt with it. Not, not at all. And this is this is what uh, they do when it comes to an African black student. Um, they always got to come with violence when they when they dealing with us. When one of our kids they come in there and and attack us and drag us out of the room and slam us on the floor, our kids on the floor. Uh, you know, and, and it, it's a replication of what is produced in the media with these love and hip hop reality shows. They portray our women and I, and, and another. And, and before I make that point. We got names like uh, Megan Thee Stallion, a Savage, uh, this and that, Murder, this and you know, you know all of these uh, 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 violent names or these degrading names of ourselves, and they replicated replicated in the uh, in the uh, in the media with these reality shows. Every damn show you see uh, our sisters fighting, our brothers fighting in the music, uh, arguing. You know, it's just violence, violence, violence. That's why it's a refresher for for you for for your uh, soundtrack that you play on this platform. Uh, people out of working class, we need more uh, a, a, a working class uh, uh, monopoly, if you will, on our media, on what our kids take in and what the society take in. They they replicate this stuff so they they give them the reason that and they mind they can justify the reason. Oh, every, all of us is all of our people is valent people. Uh, we gonna go in there with guns blazing, and uh, and administrators uh, administration is gonna support whatever the state uh, 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 the state in, in regards to the police and the military, the military complex does. They're gonna stand by. This is this is it's a system that is birthed by this 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 exploitative system of imperialism and capitalism, and it has to be overthrown. It has to be abolished. Um, we have to, we have to, we're going to be continuing chasing our tails if we just fight the issues that are produced by We got to fight those produce, the issues that are produced by but we also must understand that we also got to eradicate this system and bring it into a new, uh, uh, justifiable system, um, a system that, 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 that will prevent stuff like this by preparing educators and preparing and having a system that, 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 that really works for us, Africa for Africans. Thank you, Brother Sabukwe and Sister Eleanor with the administration response were more calculated because they recognize there may be some legal issues concerned. How do you critique their response in this situation? Uh, or lack of? I think Brother Sabukwe, I think Brother Sabuke and uh, Brother Haki were correct. I, brother, uh, that, that well, in in their response, but also I think uh, you know it makes you look at who you should select for tenured positions, and uh, uh, and and, and uh, I just uh, can't tell you this type of violence towards the students somewhere where they should feel safe and the alleged uh, instructor feeling unsafe. They should have, I think the administration, it might have been some type of legal uh, restraints that caused them to step down. 
because otherwise I think this should have been uh, handled in a different way. Thank you. Thank you, Noah, and your response, Brother Moses. Response, Brother Moses? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get my bearings on. Uh, we were talking about. Do this, Brother Moses. Let's go to this next point, and when we come back later on, if you have some further thoughts on it, you can add to it then. Um, we thank you, and what we're going to do right now to close out the segment, that was an interesting little piece that I ran across earlier, and it was part of a movie scenery called Trick Baby. It's a scenery called Trick Baby Dinner, where a group of capitalists sitting down discussing this whole question of, of how do you make sure African people do not achieve their liberation. I'm going to play this one-minute clipping. I'm going to play it twice. And I'd like to have each one of y'all to critique what y'all got from this particular um, scenery. You know, different people speak truth in different manners and different ways, use different means. And um, I'd like for y'all to respond to this because it seemed to me when listening to the piece, they raised some key issues in terms of how do you control a people and subjugate a people. And this is one of the things that make liberation so difficult. Because you have other other human beings conscious of the fact of they are trying to dominate and control another set of human beings. So listen to this piece very carefully. And uh, we would like to hear each one of y'all critique on this piece. It's called Chick Baby Dinner. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul. You conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Oh, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. Uh, no, thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, He's become one of us. As you heard a group of men in power discussing how do you continue to control and oppress African people. As we begin to go into this theme, part three, Cuba, African liberation, let's think about some of the things, a critical issue they are raised. I can play it one more time, panelists, then we can come to you for your critique. Listen very close. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Oh, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. 
That makes it even worse. No, you know, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. Uh, no, thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. That was some very interesting, powerful ideas and thoughts and methods that are being used to control and dominate oppressed people. In this case, particularly, they're talking about African people. So as you listen to this critique, give us your critique of these Europeans sitting around discussing how to dominate and continue to oppress African people. No critique on this, on this segment, Brother Haki. Well, Brother Africa, it is, it's a very good piece. Uh, you know, it. Um, you know, it, you know. On the surface, it seems that you know there's a. If, whenever there's a question of oppression, it seems the logical response should be to resist that oppression. But yet, we have many in the African community who are willing to acquiesce to go along with their own oppression, and it begs the question: What the hell is going on here? But this Democrat in this particular piece does a very good job in terms of laying out the case in terms of how you create the maximum, how you maximize the conditions to ensure the maximum compliance or pliability of African people. And so when he talks about the fact that, you, you know, when he tells his Republican counterpart, one thing you can't do, you can't strangle hope. Uh, you got to give people hope. One of the things when you talk about hope in the context of American experience, if you think back to the Philadelphia plan, one of the things they did was to create the perception that Africans were actually having access to jobs, high-paying jobs. That was done intentionally. The reality was nothing was really changing, but they created the perception that change was taking place. So what they did was to instill hope in people. And so what they did, they facilitated a, a, a class divide in the African community with those who, those few who actually had access to jobs started no longer uh, uh, related to those who didn't have access to those jobs. And so it's, it served its, 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 its purpose. Also, it's interesting when you talk about the neutralization, you know, of, you know where you know, African people want to be like us. It's very interesting. That comes to the class question. Uh, one of the things, when you look at so-called black conservatives in terms of their willingness, you know, to, to, to acquiesce, to go along with the status quo and to even legitimize, attempt to legitimize that, that oppression of African people, it's very, very interesting. So the question in terms of neutralization becomes very, very clear that these people are not, in fact, a threat. In fact, they, in fact, they measure their success or they measure their being based upon how close it, is, it, it uh, approximates that which is that which quote unquote is is right. And so it's a very interesting thing. It's very just very different, very interesting analysis. And but he, he hits it on the head in terms of the sociological aspect, in terms of you know how uh, oppression affects the thinking of African people. Also, when he talked about the fact in terms of elevating the smart ones, I think that was that's interesting uh, because one of the things is that if you simply think that somehow you're exceptional because you can put a sentence together or you can fall, you can solve a quadratic equation, or you can or you can do calculus, and if you think that you can do those things, make you make you smart, you're likely to buy into the system's narrative which says that you know because you can do these kind of things, you deserve a special platform. Um, so totally separate from your brothers and sisters, simply because they're not smart like you. You're smart 
And so, therefore, we're going we're going to acknowledge your smartness. And in acknowledging your smartness, you can move away from identifying with those people who have who are not as smart as you are. So, I think to some extent, this class division is, is being very very successful in the African community. And, and, and there are a lot of people who actually believe in the fact that somehow they're simply too intelligent or beyond any type of discourse when it comes to problems plaguing the African community. In other words, those problems pertaining to the African community pertain to those folks, not to me. So it's clear that he understands the subtleties in terms of, you know, that kind of brainwashing. Also, when you talk about, you know, rejecting them as, as leaders, you know, it's very, very interesting because the Republican position was that, you know, if you – you, you know, you let them in. You let them invade society. Yes, they give them political jobs. And in a Democrat job, of course, that's a good thing. We give them a political job because once they become, we, we identify them as leaders, uh, in, 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 in fact, we, we, we successfully turn to discrediting them. So they attempt to become more like us, and becoming more like us, they're willing to play ball. And if they're willing to play ball, then they're totally useless to the masses of African people who are suffering in the society. And so, and so you got to you got to realize it's, it's ingenious in terms of its applications because clearly, you know, you got a lot of political leadership in this country. You know, for some reason, people ask the question, why is it these people cannot deal with the issues that that that, that, that impact the African community? It's very very simple. Those issues are not their issues, and so they're not going to jeopardize their money, their their status, their suits, their cash, their houses, their cars for the interests of the masses of people. Because they're born to the issue, I'm a leader. And so and as being a leader, you know, I'm entitled, you know, to the perks in terms of being a leader. So it's a very, very interesting, burgeoning dynamic that the, uh, the Democratic guy raises. And finally, the question of materialism. One of the things, Brother Africa, as long as we continue to identify our existence based on material possessions, then, of course, we are vulnerable to all kind of manipulation. And to the, to the extent that, uh, you know, um, middle, middle income, to the extent that middle income Africans exist in the society, have brought into this whole question in terms of materialism. And so, therefore, what we do is all about, you know, capitalizing and making as much money as possible or obtaining as, much, as many things as possible as a testament in terms of who you are as a human being. And what we have to categorically do is reject any that nonsense that said material things define us as human beings. But that's not going to take place unless you have some serious discourse, some serious discussion around what it is in terms of being human. Does things define a human being? Hell no. But people believe that? Yes, they do. In fact, is it sufficient enough in terms of creating that, that, that cultural or, or political divide in the African community or the class divide in the African community? Of course it is, because you do have people in the African community who really think that things define who they are. And so if they live in a part of town where everybody has a $300,000 home, then their position is that, you know, by virtue of living in, in that in that living in that, in that community, uh, you know, that they have made, they have arrived. And so those people across the bridge, those people in different parts of the community who are maybe living in projects or living in low-rent apartments or something like housing, those people are not really on their level. In fact, their, their lack of materialism reflects that they're not really on my level. So, therefore, we really have nothing in common. So, therefore, I don't even pretend to, to identify with the struggles of African people who live, those African people who live in the poor sections of town. So clearly the way in which they divide us is very, very ingenious, but you would think in the 21st century we would catch on and say, you know, I understand the game and I'm going to fight against it. But yet and yet, many of us continue to acquiesce and play along with that game, you know, at our own demise. And it's unfortunate, you know, but that's, that's, the, reality, that's the reality that we're confronted with. And I close with that. 
Thank you, Brother Aki. Brother Sabukwe, your critique. You have members of the two parties, Democrat and Republican Party, colluding on how to control and oppress African people. What is your critique of that particular narrative that you just heard? Brother Sabukwe. Yes, yes. Yes, a couple points. Um, and a, a, a couple things that I noticed, and if you look at it, you, you notice in the background that the servants, they have African black servants in the background pouring their drinks and uh, issuing their food as they have in this dialogue. And that's how arrogant that these uh, capitalists uh, operate to speak about us while us is in the room. But they think we're docile and they think we, you know, those type of, because we're a servant, um, they think we don't have, you know, we, we're we're not capable capable of thinking <laughs> and, and 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 analyzing what's taking place. But anyhow, I, another person that comes to mind is Barack Hussein Obama. Um, you know, because he ran his campaign off of hope. The dialogue is is is, is between the liberals saying, "Oh, we got to give these people hope, hope." You know, and we felt for the okie doke. We as in. Uh, African people here in the United States of America of thanking Obama uh, as the the great Black Hope, if you will. But if you if you if you look back, um, if you if you, and, and, I, and I hope uh, <laughs> if you look at yeah, I say uh, if you look at the critique of the Black Panther movie by uh, Marvin Van Peebles or Mary Van Peebles back in 1995 when it was released, the character if you go back and look at that movie. It was a scene in the movie, the, the actor playing Jay Hoover stated in the movie that we were not, and I think Jay Hoover, um, the director of the CIA, the FBI, I think he made, this is a real life quotation that he stated, there will not be a black messiah unless we create him. And that black messiah was Barack Obama, these celebrities, Jay-Z, you see, um, that's, 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 that's what they're uh, doing. That's what that's what comes to mind when I hear this, uh, hear that, that that dialogue taking place. And 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 last but not least, uh, the final point I want to make is a fellow contributor contributor to this platform, Brother Neil, um, who was on this show before, and also a member of of, of my or, the organization I'm a part of. He PRSP. He shared with me some information. What what to me to to my uh, knowledge of a government policy, a United States government uh, policy that was put in place, and I think I want to say in the 60s, 70s, that they said that, that we have to do something that we have to do something about these black ghettos because that's where the revolutionary political power is coming from. And therefore, after that went out, uh, my generation probably, I think it's 60s, uh, 70s, after that went out, you see this, uh, and it probably, probably earlier than that, but you see this mass gentrification that took place now now here in, in the city of Richmond, everywhere in in, 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 in America, <laughs> every every black area, uh Portsmouth Portsmouth, Virginia, their land was confiscated. Uh Africans down there, their land was confiscated and now the government down there or the or, or the, yeah, the local government down there is saying about, about giving these people their land back. Now we know that's uh uh <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's hard to believe, and it is, because you 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 can best believe that there's some stipulations with that, and they talking about returning this land to the descendants 
uh, of Africans of, of that, that who 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 basically had that land first. They they took the land and built tunnels uh, through that land and bridges and stuff like they did with the Interstate 95 and many highways that that cut right through the vital community uh, of our community. But uh, but but brother Africa and fellow fellow panelists, I have to cut it short, man. I thank you all so much for having me on this platform. And again, I, I wish speedy recovery, recoveries uh, for Brother Anthony, uh, uh, um, another main panelist on the show. Please keep him in your prayers, your meditations, and your thoughts. And Sister Eleanor, I hope you feel better and, and take care of yourself. Um, Yahuru, freedom, 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 forever, and backwards never. You all have a revolutionary 2023 year, brother. Thank you. I, I, see, I see you in the whirlwind, man. Uh, I see you next week right here on Africa on the Move. Uh, thank you, Brother Sabukwe, for your contribution to today's program. Now we're going to response from Sister Alnor. Sister Alnor, your response. Uh, Are you there with us, Sister Alnor? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I think yes. it goes back to the... Um, Willie Lynch uh, phenomena, uh, you know, in uh, September 1929 in the Langston Hughes magazine, that uh, poem was uh, uh, put there where they divide the uh, country people or the mountain people from the village people and different types of people. And this is an example of that. Uh, uh, of divide and conquer, and uh, and how easy it is to marginalize people, why they try to live their lives, and uh, the divide us from our collective uh, uh, goals, what should be our collective goals, and this makes it very important to uh, have simple. Uh, eight or nine word chart of what you teach children their goals are in society. Uh, uh, Voting, uh, education, liberation of the community from economic oppression and racial and social injustice of all types. Saving the environment. So I see this this is very informative and speaking uh, from about divide and and uh, the again September 1929 the poem was published anonymously but it speaks volumes to a tool to oppress people uh, black people in particular Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We're going to go to Moses. Brother Moses, your critique, your response, Brother Moses. Are you with us, Brother Moses? I think we may have lost Brother Moses for for a while at the time at this particular time. What we're gonna do this Africa on the Moon, what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna take a Robert Share Culture Break. Play you some more music. Music as relates to the ongoing path of liberation. And when we come back, we're going to entertain this document which we which we uh responded to last week. 
and that document was a document of exhibit of the U.S. Supreme Court case number 009587, titled the National Security Council Memorandum 46 on March 17, 1978. It's a Presidential Review Memorandum, NSCM number 46. We're going to discuss a little bit of this document as it relates to Africa and African liberation and more. When we come back, this is Africa on the Move. That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that. Have, that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mosaddegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that's mm-hmm. his music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America can stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame when they drop the bombs out of them planes? Using depleted uranium, babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal. Ain't nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck if he's cunning, articulate and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man. Neo colonial puppet, white power with a black face. He said, fuck it, I'll do it. A master of the skies, expert at telling lies. Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. Should have known he was trained in Chicago. Worked the chairman Fred and Mark Clark. What they do in the dark will come out in the light like a WikiLeaks site. So I guess Nkrumah was right. Who's ready to fight? Last stage of imperialism, I ain't kidding. In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye, this ain't living. Bye, 
say What's the bigger threat from a Sama or from a Obama? Military bases from Chagos to Okinawa. I say things that other rappers won't say, cause my mind never closed like Guantanamo Bay. Hope you didn't feel the statue or tattoo your arm, cause the drones are still flying over past Kunasan. Did he defend the war? No. He extended more, even had the time to attempt to crew in Ecuador. Morales and Chavez, the states are on a hunt for ya. Military now stationed on bases in Colombia. Take a trip to the past and tell them I was right. Ask Ali Abu Nima and Jeremiah Wright. Drones over Pakistan, Yemen and Libya. Is Obama the bomber getting ready for Syria? First black president, the masses were hungry. But the same president just bombed an African country like... The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? Oh, 
Lately I've been wondering what's been going on I've been here before but I don't remember when And every time we get to where we're entering I feel my beliefs and hope surrendering But I know I'll be coming home soon Yes, I know I'll be coming home soon Cause like the enemies that we are battling I am nothing but a human alien Left with nothing else but to keep wandering Down this path while stopping my hands trembling Because I know That I'll be coming home soon And yes I know That I'll be coming home soon With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye With the soldier's eyes I've seen inside the devil's dreams where young men die In graveyards open up their arms for mothers left to cry I have seen the bleeding and I hear what we've done But just like every other fool here I'll keep marching on Because I know that I'll be coming home soon And yes I know That I'll be coming home soon With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move on the first day of January 2023 as we continue to celebrate and acknowledge the 64th anniversary of the Cuban Revolution and the 219th anniversary of Haiti Independence as well. We're speaking to the third part of this three-part series, Cuba, Africa, and, and Liberation. We invite you to join in if you have any comments, questions, or any issues I can raise as relates to this subject matter, you can call in at 323-679-0841. The last sound that you heard was a sound that titled Soldier Eyes, Soldier Eyes, by Jack Savireta. I'm just wondering in terms of when we talk about a soldier eyes, given all these walls that young folks has, has been forcing to fight all over the world. When the soldier come back with his eyes, I'm wondering what would they say, Brother Hackey, when you hear that song and talk about this old question of soldier eyes, uh, what will you think their eyes would convey if they were truly being given a platform discussing this old question on war and how they really felt about it? Uh, 
Because most of these young folks, this is something they had no intention of doing, but it's sort of a force upon them. Your response? But the high yeah. key, so eyes. What, what, what did they see? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I think the important thing to acknowledge is that, you know, um, not everyone who goes to war is oblivious or ignorant in terms of the, 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 the root causes of war. Uh, for those individuals who are conscious or become conscious in terms of the roots of war, they begin to understand implicitly, you know, that there are no benefits in terms of masses of folks when it comes to war. The beneficiaries of war is always the very, very wealthy. It's always the very, very wealthy who benefit from wars. So in that context, I think when they come home, if you if you ask them, they truly understood the roots, then they would tell you that there's something that they, they you know, un, under normal circumstances they wouldn't undertake. A lot of times they find themselves under economic straits, and so therefore they go off the war simply under the guise that, you know, you can cure, secure certain kind of benefits you know, from the government if you go fight wars. But I think in terms of expressing to people their, their heartfelt condolences in terms of, you know, being involved in war, I think many of those people would say, you know, listen, it's not something that anyone should undertake. And I think they would acknowledge that, in fact, that, you know, war is wrong and that, in, in fact, that as long as people continue to persist in participating in these wars, then you can anticipate there'll be more wars. So clearly I think uh, for those individuals who understand the, the, the very negative impact of war, I think it would be first and foremost to tell people that, listen, don't involve yourself in war. So Zalanoa, from the soldier eye, if the eyes could talk from a soldier, what would you think they would say? What would they tell us? I think um, of hardship and urban warfare. Uh, I think uh, the U.S. first urban war was uh, uh, in Iraq, where we went in as a military force attacking individuals and families in their individual families in their homes and attacking uh, 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 communities and neighborhoods. Um, I think that that would be a story that would be told by soldiers. I also, as Brother Maurice mentioned, the uh, gaming, it has a parallel to bombing in that uh, the pilots, uh, don't see the persons per se. They see uh, glowing figures that let them know they are persons, and their goal is to strike them. So this is an uh, uh, example of the soldier's eye, I think. Thank you, Sister Eleanor and Brother Moses from the soldier's eyes. If they were allowed to tell the story, what kind of story do you think they would tell, Brother Moses? I'm not sure. I'm not certain. Uh, I'm sort of um, I'm not certain that I think, Brother Moses, that's a valid response. Because uh, if you let your eyes look at a picture, it's something hard to project what other people see and feel. That's a valid response. But anyhow, let's continue down this road of liberation. And let's just talk a little bit. We're talking about Africa and liberation, and we're talking about 
people making policies and plans on how they view African, African, Africa, African people. And this clearly is expressed in this document dealing with the National Security Council Memorandum 46 on March 17. One of the things uh, in this article, they have a section where they talk about recommendations of how they should deal with Africans inside the U.S. as it relates to their relationships and possibilities for relationship with Africa. One of the recommendations that came out of um, this particular memorandum was that they said specific, specific steps should be taken with the help of appropriate government agencies, appropriate government agencies to inhibit coordinated activities of the black movement in the United States. Two, special clandestine operations should be launched by the CIA to generate mistrust and hostility in the American and world opinion against joint activities of the two forces and to call division among black Africans, radicals, national groups, and their leaders. Three, U.S. embassies to black African countries, especially interests in Southern Africa, must be highly circumspect in view of the activities of certain political circles and influential individuals opposing the objectives and method of U.S. policy towards South Africa. It must be kept in mind that the failure of U.S. strategy in South Africa adversely affect African standings throughout the world. In addition, this would mean a significant, uh, a significant diminution of U.S. influence in Africa and the emergency of new difficulties in our internal situation due to worsening economic prospects. Number four, the FBI should mount surveillance operations against black Africans' representatives and collect sensitive information on those, especially at the U.N., who oppose U.S. policies towards South Africa. This information should include facts on their links with leaders of black movements in the United States, thus making it possible, at least partial, neutralization, adverse effects of their activities. And and they talk about the trends in America, black movements. But just in general, Brother Haki, you hear this is a positive document in terms of how they see African people and its relationship to Africa, and they're doing the best for us not to unite. Um, what do you take from this policy as it relates to how do we um, respond to um, this type of um, strategy and tactics? It's similar to what we were just discussing from that little clipping from, from Trick Baby Dinner. Your response, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, <clears throat> well, you know, typically when they wage this war, uh, you know, of, of you know, of strategy and tactics, uh, one of the things we have to understand, you know, concretely, you know, that when they implement these strategies and these tactics, it's, it's geared toward specifically to neutralize or to undermine the existence of organizations or individuals. In that context, the one way we sharpen our skills in terms of understanding this attempt to neutralize, uh, you know, individuals or groups, you know, you know, in the community, one thing we have to do, we have to read. That becomes important. 
because a lot of times, you know, um, inadvertently, a lot of this information is conveyed in terms of in terms of writings, which gives you some insight in terms of what they're doing and why they're doing, why the strategies they employ, tactics they employ, and why they and why these tactics and strategies are employed. So that's key in terms of a community that we at read the first and foremost. Uh, you know, as much as we can get our hands on to read. I think this whole question in terms of agencies prohibiting meetings, you know, a, you know, a revolutionary, progressive, you know, black organizations is old news. I mean, that's, they've been doing it for a long, long time. I mean, J. Edgar Huber, J. Edgar Huber was not the architect in terms of spying on African people. That existed prior to J. Edgar Huber's existence, you know, in the 60s. So there's a notion that J. Edgar Huber is somehow the, 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 the centerpiece in terms of, in the evolution of spinal African people in the context of American society is not factual. The reality is that it's always been a, 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 a primary concern of the U.S. government in terms of monitoring of uh, the movements and actions of African people here in America. Also, I think uh, in terms of the soreness mistrust, when we talk about in context internationally, you talk about the CIA role in terms of forming and distrust individuals among you know uh, revolutionary progressive forces on the continent. It's a, it's, a, it's a replay of the same kind of strategy. I mean, it's, it's, it's universal. So whenever they do that, it's always with, with, the, with, with the aim in terms of ensuring the maximum conditions to ensure the survivability of, uh, of neoliberalism or, or, or neoliberalism. And maintaining neoliberalism ensures that the interests of the Western states are maintained. And so one of the things we have to do on the continent, we have to clearly understand that the kind of strategy and tactics employed in terms of forming and mistrust and divisions is, is, is something that's constantly done. But we have to, as leaders of African states, we have to create conditions to ensure the proper education of our people. One of the things that you alluded to yourself before, Brother Africa, was that in, uh, in one West African country, I'm not going to name the country, but it doesn't even acknowledge you know, its, 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 its revolutionary leadership historically. And that is problematic. The kids should know these historical figures in terms of you know West African history, but they don't. And so, to some extent, we can we can agree that those those institutions that provide edu- money for education institutions in those West African states uh, make sure that uh, this access to this kind of information is not provided to the children. But it's incumbent upon African leaders to make sure that the African the education is provided to the masses of these children. And of course, we all know about the history of South Africa in terms of you know, the attempt to to maintain, you know, uh, uh, apartheid in South Africa. And, of course, there are many progressive and revolutionary individuals, you know, who are part of that movement. And, of course, it's always been, you know, to minimize, you know, uh, you know what they have to say and, uh, and sort of to tarnish them in, in a way in which when they say something, it's dismissed. Of course, that was a viable strategy, but, of course, it didn't work. But certainly they simply tried to implement such a thing. But in terms of surveillance, of course, surveillance goes throughout the territory. UN is the most heavily surveyed uh, institution in American society, certainly one of the most. Uh, so in the surveillance of Africa, so African, uh, African uh, diplomats, surveillance of European diplomats, surveillance of Asian diplomats, it's very, it happens in, 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 the, uh, in, in, in the UN. And, of course, one of the priorities, of course, is the African state because Africa has such a wealth of, 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 of resources that is primary in terms of making sure that they understand any and all the players in Africa in terms of political you know political arena that conceivably could play a part in terms of relationships with Africa, Africa states and the US. Uh so clearly surveillance is a big part of that and that's certainly something that they do. Uh and of course it's all geared towards neutralizing, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, those forces that are 
that are revolutionary. And, of course, and I conclude by simply saying that, you know, in terms of neutralization, I think it's important to point out that the relationship between Africans and Africans born in America is key because one of the things they don't want to do is that dissemination of information which is which is antithetical to the interests of Western states. In particular, when you talk about the function of imperialism and how it works and talk about institutions and talk about the particular impact on people in Africa, certainly one of the things they don't want to do is to create these conditions in which those kind, that kind of information becomes commonplace. And so, therefore, people in positions of power in America have a vested interest in minimizing the relationship between Africans on the continent and Africans born in America. But, again, that is something to come upon African leaders to facilitate. If you facilitate that relationship, then it will happen. But if you don't facilitate that relationship, it won't happen. So, clearly, African leadership has to facilitate those information that that, that, that they have to facilitate a situation where Africans and Africans born in America actually get an opportunity to exchange ideas around what is what is pivotal, what is crucial due to Africa's longevity. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother Haki. Since Eleanor, one of the things one may take from this particular memorandum is that clearly there's a U.S. policy that's anti-African and anti-African people. They do not view Africans in, in this country as really as a citizen. They they are creating policies and programs to keep us um, not only in control but being dominated. So I'm just wondering, in terms of when you read this article, did you come away from that same sense of um, they don't view us as as, as a citizen, Sister Eleanor? Uh, yes, uh, Brother Africa, that that was definitely a fact, that uh, the way the article describes us is as uh, American, uh, uh, they don't call us African Americans or identify us as this, we're Africans in America, or we're black Africans in particular in America, and what was interesting was how the article outright spoke to the issue of uh, stratification, uh, wanting to uh, uh, examining. It was obviously published during the time of uh, apartheid, and it was very important to keep us stratified. And... Uh, uh, to, they wanted to, as it said, and an under section, uh, I believe it was the range of policy options. They talked about uh, to work and realize preventive operations in order to impede durable ties between U.S. black organizations and radical groups in African states but they also talked about domestic uh, 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 relationships and literally said sharp social stratification of black populations and lack of policy options which could reunite them so they saw what was happening uh, uh they want a national leader of standings. Martin Luther King is what they said, why we were so stratified. And they talked about social and economic issues that 
and political aims as the main preoccupation of the movement as actual uh, actions formerly planned on nationwide scales are now being organized locally. So they were really trying to uh, make uh, uh, people who should have been educating um, in the community and helping organize our community to deal with themselves as an exclusive group. There, There goes stratifying us. And this is interesting that this is a policy, as you said, where at no time are we discussed as Americans, but discussed as uh, uh, Africans in America or blacks in America. So it was, uh, and it it was clearly put together and and spoke directly about having all U.S. agencies involved, uh, not only the FBI, but uh, U.S. embassies to black countries, uh, especially interested in South Africa, must be highly circumspect in view of the activities of certain political circles and influence, uh, influ- uh, influence, in- influence Winchell individuals opposing the objectives and methods of the U.S. policy towards South Africa. Now, it's interesting that we also, the U.S. government, while the people were in the streets standing up against apartheid, were still trying to hold up. You know, they mentioned the importance of the Cape in terms of oil coming from the Middle East and uh, things of that uh, that sort, that 60-some percent of the oil coming from Saudi Arabia still uh, traveled around the Cape by ship. So I found it to be a very interesting article. And they highlighted nations like Zambia and Rhodesia and how, in their opinion, they had fallen rather than being liberated. Yeah, Brother Haki, so Eleanor raised some really interesting points, and there is a really interesting section under the range of policy options that they laid out in terms of how to neutralize and keep African people here and African people in Africa and abroad from um, becoming, um, being independent and receiving their, their, their liberation, their freedom. And um, one of the options in terms of ranges of, range of their policy options was to preserve the present climate, which inhabits the emergence from within the black leadership of a person capable of exerting national appeal. In other words, they don't want to allow the conditions to be created where we can come more unified under one particular leadership that will be more effective in challenging the system. This is, you know, one of the ranges, one of the options that they have laid out to fight towards making sure that doesn't happen. As well as they talk about this whole question, to do work 
out of and realize preventive operations in order to impede durable ties between African organizations and radical groups in African states. They talk about um, this whole question to collaborate and bring to effect a special program designed to perpetuate division in the black movement and neutralize the most active groups of leftist radical organizations representing different social strata of the black community to encourage divisions in black circles. So all this stuff we see going on in our community, Brother Haki, is not all of our own making. Your response, Brother Haki? Well, no. A lot of things going to community are not about own making. I mean, I, I think what we fall short is that a lot of us don't understand uh, what's, what's taking place behind the scenes. And it's not like the, to, to access that information is impossible. And like I said before, then one of the things we have to do, we have as much as, as boring as it is, we have to read. Because if in reading, then we come to understand clearly a lot of the things that are taking place behind the scenes in which normally we wouldn't be privy to. And so this question in terms of neutralizing, you know, you know, African leadership is not a new thing. Uh, of course, when you talk about neutralization, it's very clear that when, when you know, in, in a sense we talk about class, one of the things that they don't have a problem in terms of certain ideas being elevated. So if you're a wealthy, a wealthy African and all you talk about is making money or legitimizing capitalism, then, of course, you, you, your, your views get elevated. They talk about you. You become a great success. But, of course, if you're talking about a revolution, you're talking about terms of overthrowing the class system in which, you know, the few benefited expense of the many, then, of course, you become the enemy. And so, therefore, you, your voices must be neutralized. And, of course, when you start talking about, you know, internationally, when you start talking about relations between, you know, African progressive groups or revolutionary groups uh, here in America and African revolution progressive groups back in Africa, of course, that's something that, uh, something that they, they will work hard to prevent from happening. Uh, to the extent that that the success in terms of that strategy lies entirely upon you know African heads of state's willingness, you know to 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 seek autonomy. In other words, to have the feel that you have the right in terms of expressing ideas is only when you come to that realization that you have that right to express ideas and to fight for expression of those ideas do you find yourself empowered to actually make a decision and say, okay, listen. We want certain groups from the African Union who are progressive revolutionary to come to Africa to have these discussions with us because we want our populations to understand clearly what the issues are, what the parameters are, and what the struggle is really all about. But, you know, uh, but see, the thing is that as long as you have a system of imperialism that exists in Africa, where in fact, in effect, the resources of Africa is controlled by Western states, then African, African leaders become prohibited. In other words, very few are willing to step out and say, listen, we're willing to embrace, you know, uh, this kind of discussion on the African continent. Very few are willing to embrace that kind, that kind, that kind of relationship, uh, not only out of fear, but also out of just in terms of opportunism, in terms of if you embrace those kind of things, then you know the kind of, the kind of bribes, the kind of money that you assess that, that, that normally are coming your way might be denied, and so therefore you don't want a denial of those funds coming your way. So you play ball with the West, and you say you you, you tell your people, listen. You tell if you're African leader on the continent, you tell those people, so listen. Those Africans in America, they're just not too radical. They're not too crazy. You know, they they all about the wrong things. You know, you don't you don't want to associate with them. You know, they're just it's just bad news. And that's done simply because they want to make sure that they preserve that opportunity in terms of enriching themselves in terms of the flow of Western dollars into 
into into the African continent. Uh, to the extent that 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 paradigm breaks down, uh, right now we have a few examples on the continent in which African leaders are actually inviting African African progressive relative groups to come to Africa to have those kind of discussions. If that persists, if the pressure grows to have more African leaders to actually invite African progressive and revolutionary leadership out of America to set down have these kind of discussions. But it's a very, very long process because the question in terms of greed, uh, the question in terms of corruption is just it's such a pivotal question in terms of how Africa operates. Uh, at this point in history, uh, it's very, very difficult to, to have, engage in those kind of discussions in terms of the, 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 the usefulness of having those kind of discussions on the continent. Because right now, it's all about making money. And if you focus on making money, then you do whatever it is in terms of making it possible for you to get money. And so, therefore, that means no type of discussions, uh, no type of relationships, nothing that's going to antagonize the West because you don't want to lose that source of funding. So clearly, you know, this, this imperial, imperious relationship, this neocolonial structure, as long as it persists, it's prohibitive. It's going to encourage a lot of a lot of African leaders to not to even think in those those broad terms in terms of forming relationships, you know, with Africans on you know in born in America, coming to Africa to have those kind of discussions around which way forward, uh, why certain things have to happen in terms of you know freeing Africa. Uh, so clearly, uh, brother Africa, I, I I think this is this is this is sort of old news, but I think in closing in concluding. I think also, aside from just the strategic impact in terms of Western strategizing, we have to understand, you know, the 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 the, 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 the tangible the tangible uh, 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 strategies that are implemented you know, by the West. We're not simply talking about in terms of strategizing, in terms of we talk about theory, in terms of how you best oppress people. We're talking about actually killing people. And so when we talk about Africom, when we talk about the U.S. Uh, emergence over the last 15 years on the African continent. You know, under the guise of fighting terrorism, understand precisely what that means. That doesn't mean that they're actually fighting terrorism. What it means is that they're creating a situation in which anyone who's perceived as progressive, they, the auspices is the, the, the understanding is that they be eliminated or killed, so they don't represent a future threat to the United States Western imperialism, or Western imperialism generally. And so, therefore, so their, their aims are very, very strategic. And so, unfortunately, you know, many African leaders have invited, you know, the Western states in in particular America, on the continent, which gives them a free reign in terms of eliminating those individuals who are revolutionary or progressive to make sure they never become presidents or leading powers in those African states. So that's part and parcel in terms of which one, at one point was theory, is now concretized, in which they're actually going out doing it, turning those theories out to the point where they're willing to assassinate progressive and revolutionary people on the, on the continent under the guise that they are terrorists. So clearly, uh, you know, these things, this, this stuff does have dire dimensions, and we understand that, you know, in order to be free, you know, we have to confront the reality that, you know, there is there is a bully on the block. And if we don't confront that bully on the block, on the, block the reality is that there is no freedom for Africa, there's no freedom for African people, and certainly there would never be any relationship between Africans, you know, throughout the diaspora in terms of form, you know, in terms of setting out and, and forming strategies in terms of which we forward in terms of how to free Africa. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. You know that, Brother Aki and Sister Eleanor, I'm going to raise two more points from this particular section, and um, then we'll be closing out the program. And if you talk about this particular document, 
uh, and we talk about these options in the section Sister Eleanor was raising, it states that one of the other options they have is to facilitate the greatest possible expansion of black businesses by granting government contracts and loans with favorable returns to black businesses. Another um, strategy and tactic option they talk about doing and doing is to support the nomination of federal and local levels of local black public figures to elect to elected offices to government agencies and the courts. We have seen this played out for the last 20, 30 years under the pretense of progress. And what that has done was really create this concept called neocolonialism, where you create a scenario where you choose another group of people to act in the interest of another group of people outside of that group. So we see that these things happening. It's under the illusion that we're making progress, but people are manipulating and creating social conditions that allow this stuff to take place. So your response just in general in terms of uh, these particular strategies that we see is going on today and how do we kind of act that? We start with Sister Eleanor. Well, um, yes, we see a lot of individual advancement, but collectively we see a decline in the in in overall in the black community in the African American community. And the they talked about the living conditions of the black population uh, should also be taken into account. Uh, with um, uh, and they wanted to have a MERS advancement in the fields, in the field are accomplished by a long-lasting high rate of unemployment, they, which is still a problem, especially among the youth and poverty and dissatisfaction with government and social welfare. Now, what we see now is. Uh, a few people in very, very high places, and we've watched that for decades, which uh, reflect back to uh, many individuals wondering, well, why didn't I do more, or what am I not doing? Uh, these factors taken together may, uh, may, may provide a basis for what they said for joint action of concrete nature by U.S. African nationalist movement and the U.S. black community. Basically, actions basically actions would be taken uh, the form of uh, demonstrations and public protests, but the likelihood of violence uh, couldn't be excluded. And they they would also attempt to coordinate their political activities both locally and international and uh, in international organizations. Well, that that was discussed. These were discussed as a possibility under the Black African and the U.S. Black movement. But then when they get down to the section of economics, they talked about, again, I have to say that the stratification that they were also talking about was the stratification in the Black movement in the Black community where the black left, instead of educating and enlarging its rank and files, 
begin to think of itself as an exclusive clique and uh, therefore became very marginalized. And they talked about it going from being a national movement to a local movement down to just uh, a few individuals uh, being nothing more than uh, um, talking heads or they may consider themselves intellectuals, but uh, their failure to educate the community um, uh, is really uh, uh, speaks volumes. And they talked about special clandestine operations should be launched by the CIA to generate mistrust and hostility in America and world opinions against joint activity of the of of black Africans and the US blacks because division among black Africans radical nations also and they were very concerned about uh what had happened to Zaire and they they were thinking that it would go the way of Mozambique as I mentioned before. So this this was a very comprehensive paper, really showed, as, as Ike mentioned, how many of the forces in our community and our behavior is being modified by external forces. And it's up to us to stand up and fight and organize, register to vote, to act collectively, to come around and and look at our common goals <clears throat> and try to advance ourselves and constantly think of not only ourselves but Mother Earth and the children and 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 future generations. It, it's so essential because this was really about supporting, um, and it never mentioned it, or it mentioned it. In, in the beginning about South Africa. But this was really about not only South Africa, the nation, but all the sub-Saharan nations and making sure the status quo was made, maintained. Brother Hakeem, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what's the end game in terms of this voting process, when they tell you how the institutions are functioning and what's their intent are, how we take this vote and use it to transform these institutions that were structured against our existence. You know, you said something earlier in the program about the sort of question is just inside with um, Jay Gould, civilian African communities and people and leaders that go as far back as the beginning of the country where they created the so-called first police department. They call it social patrol uh, people where there was um, the whole job was not to secure, to create security or protect the people, but it was created so they can control African people and African population. That That is the foundation of the development of these so-called police departments that we have today. So I'm just wondering, Brother Haki, from your perspective, just given these, 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 these narratives of this is how 
the State Department sees see Africans in this country. How do we really use this concept of voting as a means to change these foundations, these institutions that are directly opposed to our existence? Um, or is it something that when we do this, we just really participate in our own form of oppression? I'd just like to hear some comments from your thoughts on that issue, Brother Haki. Well, you know, voting as an institution um, is not going to get us to where we need to be. Um, voting is good, you know, as a as a question as a matter of, of tactic. I mean, it's good in the sense that it affords us the opportunity in terms of actually doing something together. So we have a common concerns, something that give, something that we can rally around as a people. And in that context, is good. But it's not going to move us to where we want to be in terms of being truly liberated people. It's simply not going to happen. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the things when we talk about voting, one of the things, the reason why it exists in the first place is to give the illusion that, in fact, that we, we that there's some type of uh, participatory uh, uh, um, uh, 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 um, aspect, you know, of, of, of voting. And so, therefore, it gives you the illusion, in fact, that you're a citizen simply because you can vote. Uh, aside from the fact that we, you know, under the Voters' Rights Act, we every 20 years we, you know, we have to be uh, recertified for to have the right to vote. Uh, but clearly, uh, no, voting is not going to get us where we want to go. Um, you know, it's, it is part of a, a broader strategy because historically, when you look at in terms of voting, and we look at a situation where we were excluded, uh, it was very, 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 very clear. You know, at the point that you know this institution was established, it was very, very, very clear that those individuals who benefit from that system had a definite point of view in terms of, you know, uh, you know, the best way for them to benefit. And the best way for them to benefit to, to, to it was to exclude people on the basis of not having the right to vote. And so, therefore, when you, so if you fast forward and you start saying that, okay, you have the right to vote, then you got to ask yourself why. So what fundamentally changed between the time you were denied the vote to being, having the vote right now? The reality is the conditions, the material conditions of African people, and it's pretty much the same. Sure, we have a little, few more elective officials, we maybe we have a little bit more education, but in terms of materially, in terms of the 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 the, the abundance of, of of suffering, the abundance of injustice, the, the abundance of not having access, you know, uh, you know, to 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 wealth, those things fundamentally haven't changed from the outer. They still exist. They existed in 16th century, and they exist now. And so, if we thought if we think that voting is going to get us to where we want to be, then we need to look at that history and say, well, you know, well. If things definitively change between the 16th century to the 21st century, then we can say, well, hey, voting doesn't get us where we need to be. Well, after 500 years or so of, 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 of voting, well, actually uh, 200 years of voting, the reality is that nothing concrete has really changed. Only thing has changed is the perception that things have changed. Nothing concrete has changed, only perception. So this stratification, you know, of, of you know of you know of the community is key, and one of the ways in the, to 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 reinforce this whole question of stratification after community is this question around voting, because often you hear people talk about, so well, if you don't vote, you know, that you're part of the problem, and, and so people really believe that vote the voting is a solution in terms of getting us to where we need to be, but that kind of stratification that's that's in, that's in, that's implied when you start talking about when you start talking about voting. It's precisely what those positions of power want, because on the one hand you got those those people who who advocate for voting, and those who say, "Well, voting not get, get us where we need to go." That stratification is key. So what happens is that people positions of power legitimize those who say we need to vote, 
And those who say we don't, say voting is not going to get us where, where we need to be, have no real credibility because they've been told by systems that, in fact, those people who tell you you need to vote, listen to them. The other people who, who say you voting is not going to get us where we need to be, don't listen to them. They're just rabble rousers. They don't know what they're talking about. Don't listen to them. So as a consequence, the people who say we need to vote, they, they have, so what they have to say gets elevated. It has much more legitimacy. And so, therefore, that's precisely what those positions, people in positions of power want. They want that imposed kind of division. And so when you move toward those who say the solution is to vote, you try to say, listen, brother, we need to create these brothers and sisters. We need to create these institutions in the community in terms of fighting against these injustices. This is like, for what? You've got a vital voting process. They're going to address all your concerns. Of course they're not going to address your concerns. They're not designed to address your concerns. You know, like I say, voting is a tactical question. It's not a strategic question. So, you know, and so when we start thinking that, you know, voting is going to get us where we need to be, we have to stop and think a minute about that. I have no problem in terms of people voting. I mean, I, I, I listen, I tell you, go ahead and vote. I mean, I, not, I would never say don't vote. By all means, go ahead and vote. All I say to you while you're voting, keep in mind that if we're going to reach our long-term objectives in terms of being truly free, then what we have to do is recognize that the onus is on African people to create the institutions in the community to empower ourselves to bring about the kind of change that we, we, we want. It doesn't mean that we fundamentally change the system as it currently exists. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, the system is not going anywhere. It's going to still exist. But if you can create a system within that system in terms of making sure you do the kind of things you need in terms of empowering your children and, 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 and empowering uh, 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 or even empowering relationships, empowering um, uh, and, 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 and empowering you know, our, our, our level of awareness in society, if you can create those institutions internally in those communities, then not only will the children be, benefit from such 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 institutions, but be able to rebuff a lot of the pressures that come from the broader system, which says that listen, you have to participate and do everything we tell you to do, or else. But if we strategically, if we're organized, and no matter what this broader system tells us to do, we instinctively know it's wrong. We instinctively know it doesn't benefit us, and we instinctively know we have to fight against it. So if you create, cultivate that kind of mindset in our people, then the kind of things that the kind of things that we need in terms of advancement as a people in society, we can achieve regardless or irrespective of the system, the broader system that that exists in place. But that's a lot of theorizing. That's a lot to get people to understand. Because number one, you got to get people to sit down and listen and listen seriously, listen to what you're saying and to critique and to discuss what you're saying and why what you're saying is relevant. Right now is a situation where we are so inundated with all kind of false media, uh, you know, that uh, we, we tend to embrace that which we hear because it's told us over and over and over again. So we embrace it. So anyone come along and say something that's contrary to what you have internalized, what you've been taught to believe via the media or the educational system, is a very difficult thing to, to, to accept. And this is the fundamental problem that we're, 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 we're confronted with. Now, I, I'm not pessimistic in the sense that, you know, that, this, that this achieving, you know, uh, what we need to achieve in the community is impossible. I realize that's a long process. This process is going to be going on long after we have, trans, we, you know, we, we, uh, we have, we have, uh, we have, we have left, this, left this earth, you know, on to the next world. Uh, so I know there's a long-term process, but I know at some point we will get there. But it's a long-term strategy, it's a long-term process for people to come to understand, you know, that the power to actually change the, act, the power to actually innovate situations which are favorable to your children, the opportunity to actually innovate situations in which, you know, uh, uh, education, uh, you know, that, 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 that education 
uh, becomes a powerful tool is only going to exist to, to, the, to the extent that we come to, realiza- to the realization that there is a system in place that's diametrically opposed to our survival. Once we come to that realization the system is diametrically opposed to our survival, then we can do those kinds of things we need to do. But again, again, it's a long, long process, and we'll be long gone. We'll transition. We'll be long gone before that process manifests itself. And the only thing we can do right now is try to get people to think on a much higher level in terms of what's going on and why you have to be engaged, why you have to read, why you have to ask questions in terms of stuff and, 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 and understand that you know, there's no there's there's no possibility, there's no way conceivable that in the context of an overwhelming, very very negative, very dominant system, that you can be pragmatic. You're going to be affected one way or another. It doesn't matter what your class status is. Doesn't matter where you live at. Doesn't matter how big your house is, how big your car is. It doesn't matter. At some point, those historical injustices that inflict upon poor people in the community, at some point, inflict people in the middle to people who are wealthy. That is the, that is that is the reality known as capitalism, and so we have to stand that, you know, uh, you know, this, this struggle is 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 is, 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 a, is a long struggle, and but we'll get there. But it's be a long, long struggle, and you know, uh, for people to come to the realization, you know, that that we ourselves have the power to implement the kind of change that we need to see. And I close with that. I hear you, brother Haki. The only thoughts I have about that is I'm still trying to reconcile. If you create any institution and dialect your opposition to this society, can the truth exist within this and within this border? We'll allow it to exist. But anyway, we just would like to acknowledge our brother Moses that we have some technical difficulties of trying to bring him in. Uh, we're still working on it, so stay by, you know, stand by. But in closing, um, brother Ike and sister Eleanor. Recently, they just had this African summit where 40-some African countries came to the U.S., and uh, they met with the so-called President Hill, and um, one of the things that came out of the meeting was a, a agreement, a contractual memorandum understanding from Zambia and the Democratic Republic of Congo that they're going to have access to and have a contract of, of contracting and letting them to um, – do business with them in the area of, 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 of cobalt, cobalt, which is a very strategic mineral in order to um, leave for the industry of producing battery cars and, w- and what have you. I'm just wondering, what is your take on the significance and what can we draw from why the leaders from Africa will come to America to discuss African affairs? How would this actually benefit the people? Any thoughts on that? As we close out our theme tonight, part three, Cuba, Africa, and liberation. I start off with you, Sister Eleanor. Your thoughts on this recent meeting? Well, well, I'd like to comment on that, but before so, I'd like to say that Brother Haki is correct. But in the article we read, they also had recommendations. And those recommendations, you know, after they talked about blacks, uh, Africans in America and abroad, they said in weighing the range of the U.S. interests of black Africa, basic recommendations range without intent to imply priority are specific steps to be taken with help 
of appropriate government agencies to inhibit coordinated activities of the black movement in the United States. I think that's a very important statement. And specific clandestine operations should be launched by the CIA to generate mistrust and hostility in America and the world opinion against joint activity of the two forces and to cause division among black African radical nations and groups and their leaders. Now, what I found interesting about this this, uh, summit was, one, it was in a historically black neighborhood that has been gentrified, and many of the people have been moved out and lost their homes. But even uh, there, we're going to take a local look at it, and you'll see that local businesses and residents were uh, adversely affected. One, the local businesses couldn't even serve bagels or maybe have an opportunity to make a little business with the with the summit. But it was interesting that President Biden was so reactionary that this summit was planned uh, early in the fall, was pushed back because of his fear of China. Now, the reality is when that contract was signed, it was signed between the president of Zambia and the president of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. But it wasn't signed by the president of the United States. It was signed by Blinken, the secretary of state. So, you know, I look at this as a a form of, of disrespect. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe those 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 gentlemen were a part of the government of of, uh, of the Congo and uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo and uh, uh, was it Gambia and Gambia. But the reality is is that these contracts and what they were going to leave Africa with was uh, stations for these electrical cars. When will they arrive in Africa? But the main thing was the mandates by uh, Western nations to uh, go off of fossil fuel-driven vehicles to electric. And uh, this is something that uh, is far-reaching, this contract, in that it will be having an impact on on those two nations and the West for decades to come. And uh, I just, uh, uh, after all, nations have to unite and and work together. But again, as the recommendations in the article said, uh, that the U.S. Uh, the 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 U.S. Uh, uh, in reference to Black African countries, special interests they have special interests, and uh, 
the activities of highly circumspect in view of activities of certain political circles and influences individuals opposing the objectives. So again, I, I, I would say that we have to look at the recommendations in this article just to give us, as Brother Haiki said, from reading and 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 learning the, the uh, impact of what might have gone on and what did go on because we really don't know uh, other than uh, the cobalt contract, what other contracts might have been initiated and signed. Uh, but the cobalt right now is uh, it, it, it's, it, it speaks to what we've been talking about the minerals and the resources that are leached from from Africa, but very little is returned. Uh, the wealth, if anything, goes to the neo-colonialists. This doesn't matter whether it's World Bank money, if they if they use World Bank money to mine this cobalt, they got to pay four or five times the interest rate. This kind of thing. So we continue to see the exploitation of Africa uh, even in 2022, now 2023. So, uh, uh, you know, there seems to be so much special interest and such a neo-colonialist hole on the continent that... uh, um, people are only thinking about their personal wealth and gain, not the future of the nation. And uh, I don't know whether it was uh, in the interest of the two nations to sign this cobalt contract with the U.S. Thank you. Mr. I think it's real interesting you made a point in terms of the Chinese one you had the executive president of the country, then the other one you had representing the particular department of a country. Again, that's an indication in terms of how they view and treat Africans as not their equals, as we are stepchildren or a kid to them. And I think that was one of the criticisms of the African uh, leaders are made historically. That's how the U.S. have treated and look at Africa. So I thought that was an interesting point of observation. From Hockey, your, your, your um, assessment on this particular uh, meeting that just took place, Brother Hockey. Yeah, I, I think, I'll be very brief, but I think that one of the things is that, you know, when you call that meeting, and as opposed to you carrying your ass to Africa to have a meeting where the 49 uh, states are, are, are present, I mean, exist, you have them come to America to sit down to dictate to them, you know, what you would like to see. Uh, clearly, is you know, aside from the question in terms of treating Africans as children, uh, what amazes me is that the ability or, or the desire among many African leaders to acquiesce or actually play that role in terms of being the, the child. I don't understand that. Um, you know, it, it seems to me it's just on a, you know, you talk about, you know, very uh, very ancient people. You talk about the, these people represent the origin of humanity. These are kings and queens and mothers and fathers, you know, of, of civilization. And for them, you know, to simply, you know, um, you know, concede so much of their power, you know, by simply playing, playing ball, you know, by participating, you know, in these kind of, dis- well, they're not really discussions, but participating in these kind of forums, I, I, I think it's, for me, it's very, very sad. 
I think one of the things, you know, uh, you know, if, if in fact Africa has any credibility in terms of being a player on the world stage, then one of the things that should have happened, you know, African leaders should have instinctively said, no, 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 thank you. If you want to, if you, if you want to have those discussions, you come here, and when you come here, you you present an agenda. We got an agenda, and we'll sit down and we'll discuss the agendas. There was none of that. So clearly, I, I'm, 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 you know, uh, it's very, very clear. I mean, the benefits are not going to be accrued by to, to Africa. I mean, the benefits are going to be to Western states. There's no question about that. And uh, the mere fact that, uh, you know, until African leaders stand up and say, listen, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, I proclaim my right to, to exist on this planet, you know, uh, equally, uh, and I'm willing to fight for that which is, you know, uh, which is which is mine, you know, by birth. Until they're willing to stand up and do that, they will continue to play ball with the West, and the West will continue to treat them like children. And uh, so that's unfortunate. But in any event, Brother Africa, I, I, I think that, um, you know, um, you know, it was a strategic mistake of African leaders to actually come to Washington, D.C. to be dictated to. I think that strategically, just in terms of, you know, how the continent is perceived, I think they sort of reinforce this notion that Africans are, in fact, uh, some type of children. And that makes me very, very sad. But that is the implication in terms of what transpired with the stupid forum in Washington, D.C. Uh, thank you, Brother Haki, for your response. This is Africa on the Move to our listening audience. If you get a chance, please Google the document. It's the document is Exhibit 10 of the U.S. Supreme Court case number 009587, Title National Security Council, Memorandum 46. Dated March the 17, 1978. Uh, you know, one of the things in the Ottawa is the first rule is to know your enemy. So we need to know what we're fighting against. It must be definitely clear in terms of what we're fighting for. So we'll be closing out this third part section of Cuba, Africa, and liberation when we come back with our final thoughts. This is Brother Africa or Africa on the Move. You can hear this program every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., Please spread the word, and let's be our audience and uh, make our contribution by giving our people revolutionary information so they can use it as a tool for liberation. So we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Je suis le dernier de ma famille. Évidemment, nous sommes débrouillés. C'est dans un appartement vite, j'ai pas de quoi me garder de brouiller. Je me tiens la tête devant mon poster, suis-je un imposteur Dois changer de posture, j'hésite. Dois changer de couleur, ou me laisser couler, ou prendre un couleur, j'hésite. Mon bébé vient bas, mais qu'elle descend, dois lui donner la mort, n'a pas en descendre. Tout ce que je fais n'a aucun sens, qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire, car c'est sans visu. J'ai mis la charrue avant les bœufs, bien sûr j'ai cassé, j'étais de rattraper le temps. J'ai fondé dans le mur, me croyant ainsi que j'ai oublié qu'il était en béton. Je suis complexé, t'as vu, à la longue ça devient embêtant. Je me sens prêté pour pression, je me sens obligé d'oser le temps. Mets dans la cocotte, mais nous, car 
dépense tout dans le loto Tu me rongeais les ongles à chaque minute C'est pas ta faire aller de l'eau Tu sais dans ma course que t'en passe le bout dans ma goût, je l'avoue Tomber bien bas, les cahiers descendent Dois-je nous donner la mort, n'a pas en descendre Tout ce que je fais n'a aucun sens Qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire, car c'est sans visu C'est sans visu Je suis pas dans sonner, qu'est-ce que ça pourrait sonner Oui, je suis sonné J'ai mis la salle avant les deux Les tiens, j'ai gâté, j'essaie de rattraper le temps Foncé dans le mur, me croyant ainsi, j'ai oublié qu'il était en béton. Je suis complexé, t'as vu? À la longue, ça devient embêtant. Je me sens prêté sous pression. Je me sens obligé d'ôter le son.
puede un pesar profundo entre las penas sin nombre. Yo sé de un pesar profundo entre las penas sin nombre. La esclavitud de los hombres es la gran pena del
We'd like to welcome everybody back to Africa on the Moon and closing out our program on the first day of January the 1st, New Year 2023, in memory of the Independence Day of Haiti in 1884 and Independence and the Revolutionary 64-year anniversary of the Cuban Revolution starting in 1959 on this day as we celebrate and bring to the closing of Kwanzaa, which today's principle is the seventh principle is Imani of Faith. We'll go to our remaining participants and ask them for their final thoughts on this theme as we close out for the beginning of this year, titled Part 3, China, Africa, and Liberation. Uh, we could think we might have our mic working now. We're going to try to see if we can bring Brother Moses in and ask him to give us his final thoughts for tonight. Are you there, Brother Moses? Can you hear us? So we have corrected the problem. We must have not, so we'll move forward. And we would like to say that, um, Sister Eleanor, you're next in line. Your final thoughts for tonight. Well, I, I, I reflect back on Article 48 and what Brother Heike said. I think that voting is an essential tool to organizing and liberating the masses. It is not an end, but it is simply a tool. And I reflect back on the article. One of the big concerns was that the people in America would resume their protest marches, recalling the days of Martin Luther King. Or they go further to say the renewal of the extremist ideas idea, national idea of establishing an African republic on American soil. And finally, the leftist radical element of the black community could resume extreme actions in the style of the what they call the defunct Black Panther Party. Now, remember, the Black Panthers were feeding children, doing lunch programs, doing uh, camps and this kind of thing, and organizing the people. So um, with that in mind, we have to organize with this new year in mind. Uh, Organize, organize, organize. And an essential tool of being organized is being registered to vote and voting. It will not set us free but it will take us a long ways into liberating ourselves. And with that in mind, uh, Brother Africa, and to to my fellow panelists and our listening audience, a happy new year. Organize, register to vote, teach, read, and uh, the things that were mentioned by Brother Aiki, and keep listening in to Africa on the Move. Thank you and good night. Good night and thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contribution to today's program. And we now go to Brother Haiki. Brother Haiki, before you give your final thoughts 
quick announcement on the trip again, and then your final thoughts. Yeah, again, we encourage people to make this trip to Cuba. Uh, we think it would be a very um, important trip. Uh, we think the information that you can glean in terms of actually talking to Cuban people is worthwhile. Uh, and more importantly, I think one of the things we have to acknowledge is these real, real challenges that we're facing in society. So we have to think in much grander terms in terms of what if in the society. And when we talk about the general malaise that's sweeping the society, and we got to be very, very clear that as things deconstruct the society becomes more and more um, destructive, we got to understand that African people serve a unique niche in terms of being scapegoated when it comes to, um, you know, um, systematic decline. So clearly we can learn much from, from from Cuba in terms of, you know, you know, combating those kind of conditions, and we encourage people to go to Cuba to see for themselves firsthand, you know, what Cuba has to offer and the brilliance that is that is Cuba. My final statement, Brother Africa, and I'll be very, very brief. I, I, I think that the situation that we're confronted with is, is, is dire. I, that's no other way to put it. That's, that's not uh, hyperbole. It's not an exaggeration. It's, it's not intended to scare anybody. Uh, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, the changes that are taking place in society are all self-inflicted. Um, much of the problems that we have in society uh, the direct result of governmental planning. And, of uh, course, when you think about it, when you think about governmental planning, and government continues to take steps that actually harms the economy as opposed to doing the economy good, then you inevitably have to ask yourself, why does such a system exist? Well, the system exists to serve the interests of wealthy people, so it really doesn't matter in terms of the kind of problems that the system creates. As a matter of fact, the more problems the system creates, the more wealthier people become, at least a small minority of people, the more wealthier they become. So with that reality, with the ever-expanding number of people who are who are superfluous, those people who have no real, no real, no real um, value to society as far as the capitalists are concerned, the question is, what do you do with all these people who are superfluous? All these people you don't need, all these people you can't educate, you can't house, uh, you can't provide health care. All of these people, what do you do in in in, in, in the economy decline? I think the history is very, very clear in terms of what happens to people who are registered or perceived as superfluous. I think we, we the African community, you know, of, of, of all the uh, ethnic groups in society, we can ill afford, ill afford, you know, to, to underestimate or dismiss the history in terms of scapegoating, in terms of how scapegoating manifests itself in terms of actual destruction against the community based solely on upon the perspective that, uh, we're different. Uh, the situation is very, very grim, and, and, and I certainly hope that people really read. I mean, um, you know, it's very, very key that people read because a lot of this information is not going. The media is not going to present it to you. You have to read, uh, even if you, even if in a situation you you can't afford books because books are becoming increasingly expensive. At least go to the library and catch up on historical stuff in terms of books that libraries offer in terms of historically bringing yourself up to speed. It's key. Uh, longevity, you know, existence, you know, in this country demands it. So I encourage people, to, by all means, to please read. Please, please, please read. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, one of the things that is very, very clear, you know, if we don't understand the history, uh, then we're doomed to repeat that history. And so it's clear that we have our work cut out for us, and I encourage people to go about their business, you know, uh, learning as much as possible in terms of, you know, how capitalism works, how it, why it works, 
and uh, the, the, the ramifications of capitalism going amok. Have a good day, Brother Africa. You have a good night. You do the same, Brother Haki. We thank you and all our panelists, the analysts, and of course, our listen audience and supporters for listening to Africa on the Move on a Sunday evening from starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We ask you to join us every week and spread the word and help our audience. One of the contributions we can make to our people liberation is to give them information. And we try to do our best on Africa on the Moon to do that. So we call them for your support. Help build our listenership by spreading the word. Until next time, we see you next week. This is the end of part three, Cuba, Africa, and liberation. And we want to be reminded for the fact that, Brother Anthony, we have not forgotten you. Not only do we wish you a speedy recovery, but we would like to wish you a happy belated birthday. Brother Anthony had another Earth Day yesterday on the 31st. Um, you want to wish him a happy belated Earth Day and get well. So until next time, we will always strive to go forward, ever, backwards, never. Africa will be free, unified, liberated, and socialist. We'll see you next week on Africa on the Moon. And join the Freedom Ride with the African Awareness Association. Let's get on board. We thank you.
from where Soviet weapons filled his battle election. Militaries like the mafia, you pay for protection. Catamite sex clauses with the country sell. And rich white businessmen make the best clientele. Off from where they too pussy to come film survivors. And they murder Coca-Cola union organizers. Off from where the justice system is sapodrido. Fuck government, niggas, politics over perico. Rebelde conocido, enterrado vivo. Como otro argentino desaparecido. Cause Rico laws don't apply to the CIA. And motherfuckers make sneakers for a quarter a day. I'm from where they overthrow democratic leaders. Not for the people, but for the Wall Street Journal readers. From where blacks, indigenous peoples, and Asians were once slaves of the Caucasians. And it's amazing how they trained them to be racist against themselves in the place they was raised in. Who kept us caged in? Destroyed our culture and said that you civilized us. Raped our women, and when we were born, you despised us. Gentrified us, Asian provocateur dividers, and crucified every revolutionary messiah. So I'm a start of global riots, it's not even your fake. Anti-communist dictators can keep quiet. Fuck your charity medicine, trying to murder me. The immunizations you gave us were full of mercury. So now I see the third world like the rap game soldier. Nationalize the industry and take it over. Lock and load your gun where I'm from, the third world. Starting to many places, but I'm third world born. Gorillas hit and run where I'm from, the third world. Son. You polluted everything and now the third world. The water's poison where I'm from, the third world. Son. 700 children died by the end of the song. Revolution will come where I'm from, the third world. Son. Constant occupation leaves the third world. Talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 